Here we are once again in the month of January, and here we are once again reading reports about NFL teams interested in hiring Lincoln Riley. The latest franchise that wants a piece of Riley's offensive mind is the Philadelphia Eagles. According to multiple reports, after firing Doug Peterson Monday morning, Eagles GM Howie Roseman called Riley later in the day. Roseman and Riley are said to have a strong relationship. So if that's the case, it's not surprising that Roseman would think of Riley right away for Philly's vacated head coaching spot. You all know I'm not dialing up Lincoln Riley or shooting him texts like we're BFFs. So, of course, I have no idea what's going on inside Riley's head right now. But because this is sports and it's not really all that serious in the grand scheme of things, I'm going to guess what Riley's thinking. Given the public evidence, I'd guess Riley has no interest at all in the NFL right now. The tone surrounding his comments and his team's comments after that Cotton Bowl was very businesslike and clear to anybody who listened to all the postgame interviews that 2021 is the year for Oklahoma football. Riley said after the game, quote, you go win a Big 12 championship and just blow out a good football team in the Cotton Bowl. It's a great thing. But at the same time, I think everybody in that room is excited about the opportunity and excited about where we could take this. Riley continued, I don't know that you want to define it. I just think everybody feels a momentum and excitement about where we're headed. You can just feel that, end quote. Does that sound like someone who's looking to bolt to the NFL? Even before the Cotton Bowl, Creed Humphrey was happy to say that he thought Oklahoma's 2021 roster would be talented enough to win a national championship. Creed's not even coming back next year, and he said that. Spencer Rattler said before the game that OU is, quote, extremely close, saying OU's got a chance to do some things in 2021 that haven't been done in a long time. It'd be one thing to dismiss these comments as typical player speak or coach speak, if you will, but we all see what Riley and the players see. The pieces are there to make a run in 2021. Now, for a long time on this podcast, my take on Lincoln Riley and the NFL has been this. Riley's not going to go to the NFL until he wins a national championship at the college level. Once that happens, I think because he's an incredible competitor, plus he's incredibly young, I think at that point, he'd love to get that next challenge of being the best at the highest level of football. I'm going to amend that take right now. I don't think a national championship in college is needed for Riley to think about making that jump to the NFL. I think if Riley ever determines that he's done every single thing possible to win a title at Oklahoma, but the team still falls short, he will become more and more open to taking an NFL job. 2021 could be that year for Riley, where everything is seemingly setting up for the Sooners to make a run at not just the playoff, but actually the national championship. If OU can't do it next year, but the program gets close, and then Alex Grinch gets a head coaching job somewhere and leaves, and maybe Oklahoma's outlook, the roster for 2022, just doesn't look as good or as rosy, perhaps Riley will listen a little bit more to those NFL GMs who call him up to gauge his interest. And if and when that happens in the future, it's pretty obvious, because Riley's a smart guy, that he's going to want a really, really good quarterback, preferably young, to start his NFL career. And I just don't think Jalen Hurts and a disgruntled, wants-to-be-traded Carson Wentz moves the NFL needle at all for one Lincoln Riley. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest.
The 2020 college football season is in the books, and what was the most unusual and unorthodox season of our lifetimes? Uh, the end result was far from strange. Alabama, once again, national champions. All right, a bunch of news has come out since our last episode. Players leaving, players returning. Bob Stoops is a Hall of Famer now. Oklahoma's biggest rival has a new head coach, surprisingly. Plus, the Browns won their first playoff game since January of 1995. And we'll have a lot to discuss here. Let's dive right in. But first, we just need to say hi to Grant. So, uh, hi, Grant. How's it going? What's up, Foo? It's going pretty well. Just kind of hanging out. Lots, lots has happened. A ton, tons of news. Tons of crap has happened since the last time we recorded. So uh, I'm sure we will, uh, we will not be uh, lost for any topics at all over the next couple hours. So my opening take was about. It seems like every single year we do this. The NFL is interested in Lincoln Riley. Uh, just curious if you have any thoughts on that. If not, no big deal. Maybe if you want to talk a little bit about the college football national championship game. Uh, anything off the top here real quick, because that just happened last night. But yeah. uh, you want to yeah, go with I'll, that, any I'll, of that? Yeah, I'll start. I'll, I'll kind of comment on your opening take, because I, I, I saw the reports and stuff like that today, too. Um, I think we're at the point, though, where it's like that is Lincoln Riley is just the name that everyone throws out whenever there's an opening, especially if there's a, you know one of his former players, you know, at, in, in the organization like like Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. Um, we're at the point now, though, I feel like throwing out Lincoln Riley is kind of lazy, but also you, you did kind of break the news that what, he had a conversation with the owner of the, over the, of the Eagles. That kind of surprised me. Um, or was it the GM? Well, I didn't break it. It was reported yesterday. Yeah, it was with the GM. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that at all yesterday. So I, that's, I, I suppose that's fairly significant. Um, but in turn, like, I just I find it really, really difficult to believe that Lincoln Riley would even be remotely interested in Philadelphia right now. It makes zero sense whatsoever. And I, I just I I feel like the only reason why his name is thrown out there is because Jalen Hurts is there. Well, and apparently an ESPN report said that his relationship with the GM Howie Roseman is strong. So perhaps they you know maybe Riley knows him more than he knows other NFL GMs. So I, it, I mean, if they are friends or whatever i mean it makes sense that he would immediately call his buddy and be like hey uh you know just curious what are you thinking but yeah i mean it like what you said what i said in the take it's just there you're gonna need a, a lot better of a quarterback situation to to get riley's interest right yeah as i say i can't i can't imagine he's gonna cut tail and and you know leave for the nfl and go and what i mean have a quarterback that he didn't trust with his offense in the second half of last season in college you know i i yeah, I just I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Uh, you know, let's save any sort of thoughts on the title game for later. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot to say when it comes to that. You might have more, but I know that this is obviously an OU podcast. So uh, everyone wants to listen to us talk about the latest in Oklahoma football. So let's talk about all the Sooners who are leaving the program and all the guys who are coming back to the program. And I want to begin with the players that we expected to leave for the NFL draft. We got Creed Humphrey, which I think maybe our last episode, that was the day where I think he might have declared. So I think we might have known that back then. So he he's off. Uh, he's going to be in the Senior Bowl, so that's cool. Obviously, we knew Trey Brown was gone. He opted out before the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the two big ones where it was up in the air, but it's not that surprising that they're going to go is, of course, Ramondre Stevenson and now Ronnie Perkins. So uh, Perkins declared on Saturday, this past Saturday, and Ramondre about a week ago or so. So uh, 
again, I know that you kind of think that Perkins should have came back, but uh, I was told that uh, Perkins, I believe, was given was told that he was a, like a second round grade. And so if, if that's if that's the case, obviously you go to the draft if you're him. No doubt about it. If that's the case, then yeah, you definitely go. Um, that surprises me that he would get a that he would get a second round grade. Ronnie Perkins is not huge. He's not small either, but he's not he's not really huge. Um, as I say, I, I don't like Ronnie Perkins has been a really good player for OU. I don't think his body of work in college screams second round pick though. Having that been said, that's great. Yeah, I mean, if that's if if, if you know if that seems realistic that he could go in the second round, then yes. I mean, I think it's completely legitimate for him to come back. Uh, my argument was always he just his he needs to refine his pass rushing moves. He there's just not a lot of. Um, there's just not a lot going on there. He's, he kind of gets by on pure athleticism, and that's not really going to fly in the NFL. But also at the same time, I don't really have any sort of worries about Ronnie Perkins developing like a really good professional game either. Um, I just think, um, I think you know, selfishly, it would have been nice to see him come back. I, I think in terms of their success going forward and in terms of 2021, I thought Ramondre Stevenson coming back would have been a much bigger deal. Um, I, I think they're... You know they got they got guys on the roster right now where they can sort of they can kind of withstand the impact of of Perkins not coming back. But but Stevenson that makes it so. I mean it's almost you not even almost it's you have to uh, you know it's mandatory. You, you got to go get someone from the transfer portal as a running back. But um, yeah, I, I once you know once the news came down that they both were going to go, I, nobody was shocked. It's I, I'm not surprised at all. Kind of the longer and longer it dragged on, uh, the more I became more comfortable in my mind that it was, it was unlikely that they were going to come back. Yeah. That's you're kind of thinking, I think you made a, a comment either the last show or maybe before the bowl game that it was just your opinion. You just kind of had a feeling that both of those players were maybe a package deal that if one decided to come back, that both would come back and uh, now both decided to go. So, I mean, now Ronnie, he announced, I think four or five days after Ramondre um, so, I mean, maybe they had no connection whatsoever, but, uh, in, in hindsight, perhaps you, you were a, a sliver of correct about that thought. Uh, um, but yeah, okay. So Ramondre, I, I, you mentioned that that's the one where as far as next season would probably have more impact if he would have came back and I'm not sure where he's projected to go right now. I did a little bit of research before the podcast. I, I mean, I'm not sure how credible draftscout.com is. Uh, I would lean towards not that credible considering right now it it says Perkins Perkins it says Stevenson is in the uh, round six to seven range which that seems uh, pretty low uh, Walter football is a website I always go to when I look for draft stuff I'm not sure if any of you all have heard about it but I've gone to it for years it, it's a lot easier to find projections and rankings of prospects and that website's a little more realistic. It's got Ramondre in the three to four range, third to fourth round range. Um, and so I was looking at the, the 2021 running backs, that uh, the rankings for that. And so they got Ramondre as the eighth best running back in that class, which seems a little bit low to me. And so I'll go over the top, uh, top eight with Ramondre obviously being eight. And the top two I totally get. The top two make total sense. Uh, Travis Etienne and Najee Harris from Alabama. Okay, yeah, I, I get that. I, I, I would probably think they're, they're both better than Ramondre at this point. But after that, I'll, I'll be honest, some of these guys I haven't seen play a whole lot at all, uh, really, ex except for one of these guys I've seen play a whole lot. But uh, number three, they have Memphis running back Kenny Gainwell, which 
I've never heard of, I'll be honest. Um, I know Memphis has been churning out running backs lately. That Daryl Henderson's the one that comes to mind. And uh, I think they might have one other guy in the last couple of years. But uh, so uh, maybe he's great. I don't know. Um, number four, I know he had a, I think he had a pretty good game in the, the bowl game. I don't think he opted out. It was Javante Williams from North Carolina. I think he had a pretty good season. Um, I, and I'm going to lean on you, Grant, a little bit here when I get done. So that's, that's two guys I don't know much about. Number five uh, is Chuba Hubbard, and that's too high. Uh, my, my thoughts on Chuba has, have obviously changed drastically since last season at this time. Um, I, I think right now Ramondre is a better prospect than Chuba Hubbard. Uh, last year I thought Chuba should have came out. He didn't. Uh, he was injured most of this season. He was banged up. And uh, hopefully he tests well. I think he's a good kid, and he still has lots of speed, or should. Uh, but th he did not look at full strength this year. But right, right now, Ramondre, I th I'd, I'd say, is, is better than Chuba. And then the other two ahead of Ramondre is uh, Georgia's Zamir White. Didn't see him play at all this year. Didn't watch much Georgia football. And um, C.J. Verdell, Verdell from Oregon. Uh, I, I didn't watch the um, – Fiestable that closely I'm sure he played in that game I don't know how he did against Iowa State's defense but those are the seven backs ahead of Ramondre Stevenson and I'll plead ignorance on a lot of them I didn't see a lot of them play but I as far as Chuba goes I, I like Ramondre more than Chuba at the next level Grant your thoughts yeah I mean I, I agree with you in regards to his comparison to Chuba I'm kind of right there with you I don't know a whole lot about those other guys on the list um, I, I, I agree with you now. I would take, as a pro prospect and as a college player, I would take Etienne and Najee Harris over Ramondre. Um, I know Javante Williams from North Carolina had a really good season, um, I, I, but honestly, I, I just didn't see him play a whole lot. So, um, But, I mean, after, after Etienne and Najee Harris, there's just a bunch of guys who are just kind of, you know, that you never really heard of, and I, I think that's that's got to be good for Ramondre, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. so... You know, we'll see. I, I think if if you would have just if you just would have asked me, just gun to my head, I would have said you know three to four range for for Ramondre as well. Um, six or seven, I, six to seven. I think that's that's crazy. I, I can't imagine. That's probably just hasn't been updated yet. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me that once like the Senior Bowl shakes out and all that, I know Ramondre got an invite to that. It wouldn't surprise me if you see him up and and kind of considered one of the in the top five of the running backs coming out. It wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, so uh, th both those guys uh, gone. And by the way, um, we're, we got a question from the West of Everest Facebook page. Make sure you like the Facebook page for updates and uh, try to an ability to interact with us here. And also you can follow Grant on Twitter, at Grant Benson, and I am uh, at Lee Benson News 9. We do have a question about next season, and so I, I got it scheduled for later in the program uh, after we kind of go over all the guys that are leaving We'll answer the question more when we talk about the players who are coming back. Just a bit of a tease forward to uh, a listener question. So, uh, yeah, Ramondre leaving, uh, that's a hit to this room. And uh, I'll just look at it right now just because it kind of goes along with the conversation a little bit towards next year. I mean, the running back room right now in 2021 moving forward. By the way, I, I know that um, Lincoln Riley talked to uh, some beat reporters um, about a week or two ago and confirmed that – Kennedy Brooks is coming back next season. So Kennedy Brooks will be back in the fold. So then that means that Brooks obviously is RB1, even though with the year off, but you'd hope that he's fresh and he'll be good to go. Then you got Seth McGowan, Marcus Major, and uh, my man Todd Hudson, Grant. That, that's, that's basically all you got in the running back room right now. Uh, 
I put a little, I, I, my notes here, I put a little asterisk next to Mikey Henderson. Uh, don't know or don't think that they would move him to running back, but if they can't get anybody out of the transfer portal, I think you have to. <laughs> I mean, you it, you got to put him at running back then because he got some snaps at that this past year. I don't think there is help. no, there's no if they don't get someone from the transfer portal. They're not going to go into this season without a transfer portal running back. They're just not going to. Um, okay. And I, I think there's still a lot to shake out there. I know there's one decent name in there. Um, uh, Joshua Marks, I think, from Buffalo is the big one. Um, and he ran for nearly 1,000 yards in a really shortened season this year. And if you kind of go look at his tape, he looks like sort of a bigger, longer strider version of Trey Sermon. Um, he's someone that I wouldn't be surprised if OU kind of kicks the tires on. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, there's probably still lots of people to come out through the transfer portal and probably still names that are going to be there. But uh, I, I don't OU is going to be looking I, you know, very heavily for this. I, 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 they understand what they have and what they need. And if, if this season is any indication, that they, just, they just need more numbers and more bodies just in general as well. So, um, and they haven't, they haven't signed a running back in this class. I know there's still you know, time to sign one, but... Um, who knows if that's going to happen? I don't know about JUCO guys, so it's it's weird. I mean, they're going to be combing the transfer portal uh, very heavily for a running back. I, I just I I can't envision any scenario where they don't. And it's not like they need just uh, a depth piece at running back. They need a guy that can come in and give you eight to twelve quality touches a game, along is, with Kennedy Brooks. This is not. I mean, it's not crazy to say this because I I feel like we've we we know what Kennedy Brooks is all about and. I think I think you and I we we kind of have some doubts about whether or not he could carry a full load like he could be just the number one guy. I'm not necessarily sure he's that guy. Um, they're looking for a guy who can come in and run for a thousand yards. I mean, I, I think that's that's pretty clear. That that's a that's the type of guy that they need in order to be the offense that they want to be. All right, more players who have left for the NFL. Now we went over the the guys that we are not surprised to see go. There's two players that left that uh, are a bit surprising, one more than the other, in my opinion, but, but both surprising nonetheless. Uh, the, the, the one that's not as surprising is Adrian Ely. He's gone. Um, he definitely could have benefited from another year. Uh, from what I've heard, that, uh, some of the, I, I think the coaching, some of the coaching staff was kind of surprised that he went, um, but he's going to go to the NFL, so best of luck to Adrian Ely. So that obviously opens up the right tackle spot uh, for Oklahoma. As far as the most surprising one that I, I did not see coming, and I can tell you I, I've been told that uh, it doesn't sound like many in the Oklahoma coaching staff saw this coming. Uh, Trey Norwood declares for the NFL draft, and he's going to be in the Senior Bowl. And it's no secret I'm a big Trey Norwood fan. I, I wax poetic about him uh, last episode fully believing that he was going to be returning for Oklahoma in 2021 and giving himself one a chance to shine even more get you know get bigger and become more of a pro prospect and also solidify this Oklahoma secondary but he's kind of similar to Trey Brown in a way I mean he's going to go out on a high note had the big pick six in the game played okay against Florida uh, outside the pick six and he's going to go to the NFL and projection wise for him man I he is he is maybe maybe a late round pick, but I as of today I would guess more of like a, a an undrafted free agent type guy. I just I, I don't know if he's a player that's going to get drafted. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I got. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked by his decision. Um, the last time we recorded, you're. I mean, we we spent nearly a full segment talking about him. On you know, under the context that it was that this was not even a thought. There's no way this would ever ever happen. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm stunned. I, I um, and it's it's like it's one of those things where I, it's like this is not that terrible. Trey Norwood kind of comes off as the guy who's he's going to be successful in life pretty much no matter what he does in all likelihood. He kind of seems like that type of guy. Um, so I don't think like him declaring early now is just like, oh, man, you had a chance to make all of this money and you doing this now means that that's just never going to happen. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case here. Having that been said, he's not going to get drafted. He's definitely not going to get drafted. Like under I, I in terms of the level that I was shocked that he left early, even more so would I be shocked if he were to be drafted. Um, he's just he's just not big enough. I, I mean, I, you know, Parnell Motley, who is smaller and who and has, you know, hit, put a lot of really good, you know, film on tape last season, played better than Trey Norwood ever has in OU's history, or, or ever has since he's been at OU, and he didn't even get drafted. So, you know, I, he, Trey Norwood I, he's not going to get drafted. So, but I, I mean, I hope he does. That would be great for OU. They'd be able to say another guy drafted, but... He's not going to. That yeah, guy, that guy is just he's not physical. He's not physical. Well, real quick, you mentioned Parnell Motley, and I remember back, uh, actually, it was Pro Day. It was the last actual real thing, like normal-ish thing we could do before all the COVID stuff happened back in very early March. Uh, OU had their Pro Day. Uh, I, th- I think it was technically a little bit earlier than a lot of teams. I think OU's Pro Day, they were able to get it in before a lot of other teams were able to get Pro Day in. And I remember watching Parnell Motley during that Pro Day and just thinking, man, he is just, he has got stiff hips. He He's not that fast. He He's just not very athletic. And I, that was, I just figured at that point, it's going to kill any sort of draft stock he would have had. And it did. He didn't get drafted. I mean, the it, it, old question, what do scouts put more stock into, tape? or the evaluation process and it seemed like with Parnell Motley they put a lot more stock into the evaluation process because yes his tape was great his his last year at Oklahoma Uh, but man he he did not have that good of a pro day for my estimation and when it comes to uh, to Trey Norwood the question with him is going to be what position does he play because I think he could play corner okay but he didn't play corner the last couple of seasons at granted he was injured all 2019 in 2018 he played mostly corner so really it was late 2018 he kind of adjusted and moved around because he was a Swiss Army knife played some free safety then in here in 2020 took him a while to, to to get his his feet you know set into Oklahoma's defense he didn't really come come in strong until you know halfway through the year or so and what he did he was playing a lot of nickel so I think he's a good corner but I guess there's questions about how fast he is. Can he cover people? Can he? Does he have good recovery speed? We haven't seen him play corner since 2018 before he got injured. Okay, is he a safety? Is he a nickel? Okay, sure. But is he is he physical enough to come up and make tackles like a like a, a safety is supposed to at the NFL level? I have my doubts, and and that's why it's. I, I think the guy can cover. Um, I, I I would guess. He's got to make hay at playing corner. So he's got to be physical enough to play corner, and I guess he's got to be able to stay with people. The question is we haven't seen him play that position again since 2018. So, I mean, let's, let's go over what, like, what, you know, 
what would a scout in the NFL like about Trey Norwood? I'd say his length. He's 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 got pretty long arms. Um, and other than that, you still it looks like a you know a uh, a body that is just it's going to struggle to put on weight. And I just I don't know if you can have that guy anywhere near the box in the NFL. Um, because at least you know something you could say about Parnell Motley was that at least he showed a willingness to to stick his head in the muck and. Uh, and to lower his shoulder and play with physicality. Trey Norwood's never even really shown that willingness. Um, in 2018, he did. He, he did it at times in 2018. He, he jumped up. I remember him coming in to get a sack against UCLA, and they, and they blitzed him in. And I, I, I think he does have that in him. It's just, for whatever reason, this defense, it, it just he's playing a lot of nickel this year, and a lot of that is, is playing in coverage. I, I, you mentioned his length. I think another thing that scouts should like about him if they watch more tape on him he's just he's really football savvy and smart he he gets football he's smart out there and that's why I think I think he can it's got to be corner for him because I think he's going to have a a smaller space to cover and he'll have to use his instincts and his football intuition to cover guys that are going to be more athletic than him and maybe more and 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 speedier than him I I think that's his only chance in in my opinion right now yeah I I guess I just I kind of want to I want to compare Trey Norwood physically to to two past OU defensive backs who were two really good college players for OU, um, and I'm I'm comparing them physically. He's really similar to Aaron Colvin, who was a who was a nickel corner in the NFL and was a pretty good one for for a contract. Um, and then once he got his his first big money contract, he kind of fell off the face of the earth. Um, I think he's really physical or he's really similar physically to Stephen Parker who was not drafted and who has been kind of a journeyman in the league. Um, the only thing I would say about uh, you know Trey Norwood in comparison to those guys, though, those guys are way more athletic than Trey Norwood is, and it, it shows on tape. And so I just I, – I, I, I don't I don't think he's I don't think he can make it in the NFL. I, I, I think his – I think he'll almost certainly, if he does, he'll be a, he'll be a slot corner. Um, and I just I don't think he's ever going to be athletic or physical enough to be able to uh, to cover and tackle NFL wide receivers and running backs. I just I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, and right now, January twelfth, twenty twenty one, as we record this, I agree with you. I obviously I I always want to be wrong about this stuff because I I want these Oklahoma guys to succeed. And Trey Norwood's a a good guy. He has worked really hard to come back from that injury, and, and I've I've thought he's been one of the best secondary players that Oklahoma has had since 2017 and it really sucks to see him go go now because because of what we think we, we and I, I think what the draft scouts will see is that he I don't think he's ready and he could stay another year and who knows who knows it, you can always get better and if if it's not a slam dunk situation where you're gonna definitely be a you know a mid-round pick at the very worst it just it helps you to come back, and, and especially considering that, man, there's only X amount of years you can play football. And he definitely could have played a lot of snaps next year for Oklahoma. But now that he's, gonna, he's not, he's leaving, he's not guaranteed anything, and he, and he may never start another football game again in his life. He may never play another football game in his life. And you know what? Here's the thing. He's betting on himself, and good on him. He's allowed to do that. A lot of athletes bet on themselves, and a lot of athletes do that, and they're successful. And I hope he is successful, and, and he makes us look stupid. It's just uh, knowing what we know about football and knowing uh, what I've heard from 
coaches and scouts. It, it just it it seems like it, he's making a, a pretty risky bet at this point. But also, I mean, if, he, if he's the type of guy, like I said, who is going to be successful in really anything he does, it's not that risky. He's just doing what oh, okay. he wants I, to yeah, do. Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas, um, like, maybe in his mind, it's like, yeah, he, he loves football. That's his dream. But you know what? Like, it's not the end of the world if, if you know, he, it, it doesn't work out for him because he has other options. Yeah, okay, that's a good could, point. Yeah, this could easily be a decision, too, as well. You know, I've spent four years in college. I'm done. I'm moving on with my life to the next yeah. chapter. Um, Absolutely. And that's... You know that that's completely legitimate as well. Um, I just yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing for sure. And like you said, yeah, we we hope that he does have success in the NFL. I just I, I kind of have a hard time seeing it. Um, and and I will say this: if you, if you want to kind of analyze this from you know uh, crimson colored glasses or, or uh, you know glass half full for next season, I kind of feel like OU's success next season, them being the team that they want to be to compete for a national title, sort of required someone to take Trey Norwood's spot. And, and and I think if OU is going to be the team that they're going to be, I think that person is going to be Justin Harrington. Um, and we'll see. I don't know. Trey Norwood was, was, was really good for OU this year. He was steady. And, you know, it, it would be really nice if that came back. But also at the same time, they certainly have more athletic and talented players behind him. Now, do they have the same football savvy or the same consistency? We'll find out. Um, but I, I, I do think that if OU is going to get to the point of being national championship good next season, it's unlikely that Trey Norwood was going to be on the field a ton. Like, their best defense. That, that's all I'm saying. Oh, I disagree. I did, wasn't, wasn't Harrington supposed to be like a strong safety or a free safety? So in, in theory, he was probably going to maybe take Pat Fields' job. Harrington was going to be a, the nickel is kind of what I always, that he was basically oh, really? the shoe in for the nickel and being kind of the guy that they move around everywhere. So, so he was going to essentially take uh, Norwood and Buki's job then? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. No, I'd, I'd always, you know, maybe I had bad info. I always thought he was just one of the safeties and um, Norwood was gonna hey, be you know, Norwood, you know nickel so underrating trey norwood has been you know has been a theme of this fan base the last four years and i you know i'm guilty of it too um but so, like we're not he's he's not the world's most talented player like you know it's if ou wants to win national championships you know wants to get on that level it's very unlikely that the trey norwoods of the world are going to be you know coming in and out of this program does that make sense yeah and i know what you mean but i I've been but you're right. He's, I mean, I just a, I like guys who can cover. He's an so. above average to good college player, and generally speaking, you always want those guys to stick around. You know, and it, it's not one of those things where it's like uh, it's a mutually beneficial thing where he's going, and that's that's just another NFL guy that oh you can tout and advertise. That's not what this is. Uh, he's not. He's just. He's not going to be in the NFL. <laughs> Um, all right, so those are the kind of the surprising players that left for the draft. Did we talk uh, about Adrian Neely? It. It, what's that? Did I mean? Did we talk about Adrian Neely? Um, um, not, not really. I, I don't know where he's projected to go. Um, he, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I'll, I'll, here's, any, I don't here's the thing about Adrian Neely. Yeah, you know, I, you and I have been pretty transparent that way. I mean, we're not we're not experts on the offensive line. Um, obviously we have thoughts on what we see and I, I like, I, I think I can kind of, uh, you know, pretty well judge the cohesiveness of the unit and if they're playing well. 
Um, having that been said, you know, I Adrian Ely has been touted as a draft pick, you know, for the for the last three or four seasons. And Adrian Ely is also has also just had a lot of really bad football the last couple seasons as well. Um, he's had a lot of really good football and a lot of really bad football. And honestly, Adrian Ely leaving to me is really not earth shatteringly terrible. Um, you said that uh, him going pro was met with maybe kind of some surprise amongst the staff, maybe some disappointment amongst the staff. Um, I don't know, and this this is just my feeling, my general feeling about this, about just the hype with Adrian Ely and then the product that we've seen on the field the last couple of years. I think it is there is a very decent chance that this is an addition by subtraction. Yeah, I don't have strong feelings like that. I, I think he was I think he was good. I think he was fine. Um, I think if he if he wasn't, somebody else would have taken his job. Um, I'm just saying, right like, now, Adrian Ely is going to get drafted. His production on the field is replaceable is very replaceable and in fact they can be better at that position sure i'm not uh like you know throwing in the towel and getting upset about him going but a lot of that is based off of uh bill biedenbow and and oklahoma's seeming depth on the offensive line and i know they got some young players coming up Um, by the way i'm just looking at that walter football website again they project ely to go anywhere from the fourth to the sixth round so i mean mean, who knows about right back could he have What's that? I think that's about right. You know, Ely is going to get drafted kind of in the same position as uh, Daryl Williams got drafted. Uh, old, you know, right tackle for OU. He was the right tackle in the 2013-2014 seasons and 2012 also. He was a really good college player. Got drafted, uh, I can't remember there, but he was a mid to late round draft pick. He was a much better college player than Adrian Ely. Much more consistent um, and... Yeah, I just, yeah, Adrian Ely's inconsistency drove me insane. For the two years that he was a starting right tackle, I, I, I think they can be better at that position, whether or not it's through the transfer portal or the talented young guys they have right now. Um, I just, yeah, I've, I've seen some takes, you know, in the fan base that losing Ely was a, was a big hit. And, you know, I understand that. You never, you know, when you have experienced offensive linemen who could come back and get better, you always want them to come back. But, you know, if, if you got to, if if you got to process guys out of the program, and I know this isn't a processing, he's going to the NFL. Um, but I, I just there's definitely more important guys that would have hurt a lot more if they left. Ely is is just kind of eh, whatever. I know they have Anton Harrison. I know they signed a great tackle class last uh, last class. I know they're going to go after some tackles in the in the portal. I, I just yeah, I, I I don't find the Ely departure to be that big of a deal, to be honest. I think it's I think it's the least big of deal out of all of the departures. Gotcha. And I think I'd agree with that. That's fair. Okay, so over to the transfers, those who are leaving the program, not to the NFL, but uh they are just uh either jumped in the portal and then they're saying see you later. And so uh, we'll start with Chandler Morris, uh, third string, or well, he was a third string quarterback this year. Ended up being the backup quarterback for the bowl game. He's going to TCU to uh, play behind Max Duggan. Okay, um, cool. See, I don't love uh, this. Obviously, one. you got. I don't like. I think I don't love this one. Um, Chandler Morris, obviously, he's a really small dude, um, but da- he's twitchy. He's a darn. He's a damn good athlete. Um, I just, yeah, I, I don't, it's, that's not great. He is going to start against OU at some point in time in his career. And um, that's, that's just not a great one. I, I don't really have any thoughts about 
kind of like the gamemanship going on there. I don't, I don't I'm not, I don't necessarily care about that. Um, but it, it's, it might sting a little bit that a guy that, you know, used to be on OU's roster is very likely going to play against OU in his career and is going to cause some problems. Because, I mean, that guy is twitchy and he's tough to tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that Lincoln Riley has a lot of reverence for uh, Gary Patterson and vice versa. And so if, if that's true, I, I mean, I know obviously Austin Kendall went to West Virginia and there's that whole story that I don't want to rehash that, but it was it seemed like it wasn't like a slam dunk that he was going to go, but then he ended up going, whatever. So, I mean, going interconference, especially quarterback-wise, it is interesting. And it seems like for this situation, there was no issues. And maybe moving forward, honestly, if anybody wants to transfer within the Big 12, maybe Riley's just going to be like, okay, whatever, just go, I don't care. But uh, or, you know, again, maybe the relationship between Riley and Patterson aided this smooth transfer. Uh, Yeah, I don't think I I think I think Chandler's uh, dad is going to TCU also. I think that's a thing. So I think that probably had the most to do with it. Oh, Chad. Oh, Chad Morris. I think Chad Morris is at TCU now. Yeah, he's been bouncing around right ever since. uh, Was was he at was he at SMU and then he went to Arkansas or am I thinking? Yeah, he went from Chad Morris. He was the Clemson O.C., um, and then he went to SMU, and they were bad. And he got hired, I think, by Arkansas from there, and they were never really great. Um, yeah, and then he was at Auburn. He was at Auburn this year as the OC. Okay, so Chandler Morris, he's out the door. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma's got Caleb Williams coming in, and it just, I mean, I'm sure Morris is like, yeah, I'm, I don't want to be third string again because this guy's going to beat me out for, for backup. So, I mean, that, as far as Oklahoma goes, it's, it, it makes sense. I mean, they're going to have Rattler and Williams next year. Like, yeah, uh, big I one mean, just came out today. Chandler Morris was very unlikely to ever start a game at OU, but I think he is like his, his ceiling as a backup quarterback was considerably higher than Austin Kendall and Tanner Mordecai. I, I think, I think Chandler Morris is better than both of those guys. We'll never going to know though. Cause he never, I, mean, yeah, I, we I will. guess maybe if he plays well at TCU, we'll find out at but, TCU. I, yeah, I guess. Uh, okay, so this one is interesting because there's some news that just came out earlier today as we record this. Charleston Rambo, he decided he wanted to transfer. It uh, just came out, though, today that he's going to go to Miami. So I know that your uh, kind of whole joke thing, Grant, was that he was going to probably enter the portal and then go to, like, SMU. So you're half right. He he entered the portal, but uh, Miami, he's going to go play with De'Eric King next year. That's interesting. Um, so good luck to Charleston Rambo. We'll, we'll see how that plays out, obviously. We don't have to tell you, you listen to this podcast, and they'll OU fan base. Uh, I mean, Rambo had a nice Cotton Bowl, but um, he he was mostly uh, invisible in 2020. And um, he had a lot of opportunities, it seems like. I mean, he was getting a lot of snaps. He he was getting targets, routes. He just, I don't know. It, it just it never part really of the panned season, out for, he was, for him he, except for the... In the early part of the season, he was getting all the bubble screens, and he was getting all the uh, the deep shots. I mean, he was... The coaches tried to make him the number one receiver on this team. And, um, hey, I, I was beating that drum in the preseason. I thought he was going to take a massive step and be a really great player this year. He wasn't. He wasn't at all. And so I, I think we've seen flashes from Rambo. We, we obviously have. Um, I just He's just never been able to put it all together at OU. Um, you know, maybe Miami, he could, you know, is, is Kendall Bryles at Miami? Is, Let me look it up. Um, cause I only say it because, you know, a, a couple seasons ago with Derek King, 
when he had his really you know monster year at Houston. Uh, a lot. I mean, that was basically kind of the the old Art Bryles run and shoot. They were just they were uh, they were basically chucking it deep, and then whenever they would back off of the safeties, that's when they would run the ball. Um, I, I could definitely see Rambo being effective in kind of like an Art Bryles style Baylor offense um, if they are running that at Miami with with De'Ara King. But I, I'm I'm not sure. I, I guess you know we'll find out. All right, no, uh, Kendall Bryles is at Arkansas. He was Arkansas's OC this year, and so. Uh, Miami's OC is Rhett Lashley. He's the, which the old Auburn guy. Lashley was at Auburn. Yeah, I think I think Rhett Lashley was the uh, I think he was the OC at Auburn when they lost to Florida State in the national title in 2013. Man, that's crazy, man! Like all these different coaches go all these different school. It yeah, college football for you. So yeah, that's uh, so yeah, Rambo's going to Miami. Some more players that have transferred, and, and I may forget some or don't mention some of maybe some players who just didn't play at all much, and you know, they're, maybe I just they're skipped over. But, but two players that definitely uh, – one, John Michael Terry entered the portal. He, he definitely was, he was a backup player, and he got a lot of snaps the last two, three years. And then, uh, man, Robert Barnes, who came on late in 2020, got some snaps at free safety, even though he looks like a big old linebacker now. Uh, he's in the portal as well too, so – uh, a couple backup players are going to depart. You know, those are those are two guys who just who just spent their fourth seasons at OU. You know, they've gone they've gone through an entire you know college cycle basically. And what I'm choosing to believe about these two guys leaving is because I, I think they 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 could have helped the team next year. Um, what I'm choosing is that to believe is that the coaches probably had a talk with them and said the writing is on the wall. Presumably, we have more talented, ready-to-play guys who are going to come in and, and take a lot of your time next season. And I know Robert Barnes didn't really play at all this season, um, but I thought from what we did see of him, he was someone who could help next year. Um, but I, I'm taking this as to believe that there are guys who are better, more talented behind behind them, and that this was probably in their best interest going forward. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what happened. I think I mean, that's if- got to be the case, at least with JMT. Has to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's not like, yeah, I, I don't know if, I don't read message boards. I don't, I guess I, I don't know what the pulse of the OU fan base is saying, aside from, really, I, I kind of get an idea of what uh, you listeners out there listen to this podcast say that that tweet me or put stuff on the Facebook page. I kind of get an idea of what you're thinking. But if anybody was thinking that some of these transfers were like, oh, what's going on with this program? Why are they leaving? What's There's a problem. That's obviously not it. I mean, these guys are going to try to find more playing time because other players in the program are probably going to beat them out for jobs. And they've talked with coaches and it's just you probably should move on. I mean, that's that happens all the time. It's I mean, if if a guy like I don't know if if uh, Woody Washington and DJ Graham and Mikey Henderson and um, Theo Weiss all decide to transfer. Then you'd be like, oh, okay, what's going on here? This that's that's weird. Um, those are guys that would probably play a lot next season. Why are they deciding to leave Oklahoma? That's yeah. not what this is. Yeah, yeah. And like, and with JMT, I mean, obviously Nick Benito, who is very likely to be a preseason All American, um, it you know plays his position. He's going to play a lot. And then the guys behind him, Brendan Walker, was the guy who was backing up JMT. And man, those guys have really similar body, you know, body styles. And Brendan Walker comes in with 
less mileage on the tires, probably a little more of a higher upside. And then also their highest rated defensive recruit, Clayton Smith, plays that position also. Um, and so I, I think that's probably what's going on with JMT. Um, Barnes, it, I, probably a little more. It was probably wishful thinking for me to think that he was going to come back next year. Um, he's a guy who is who is you know, he's he's put a lot into this program and he didn't play a lot this year. It's, it doesn't surprise me that he's going to move on. Yeah, and good for him. He stuck it out. He's been a good Sooner. He's been a, a, a good soldier. And perhaps for him, a change of scenery. I, th- I think he's going to be a grad transfer. I think he might already graduated. So a change of scenery, maybe a place where he gets more snaps. That'll be great for him. And who knows? Maybe he could be a guy with one more year in college, could put some good tape out there and potentially get a shot to play at the next level after not playing at all or n- not playing very much ever since that 2018 season. So, yeah, I mean. What if he goes hats to like, off to uh, Robert Barnes? What if he goes to like I don't know like Texas State or something? And I just threw that out there. He'll he'd probably go somewhere better than that. And what if he slims down by like ten pounds and he becomes just an amazing nickel? And then you would just be yeah, vindicated be- in everything that you said. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. I hope that happens now, and I hope he ends up being an All Pro. Um, all right. So those are the the players that are that are either declared for the NFL draft, transferred out. Uh, did any? Did I miss? I know that there. Like, I think what Jalen Conyers left. He didn't see the field this year. Any any other players that left the program that are worth mentioning that you that are on your mind at all? Not off the top of my head. Uh, I think you, yeah. I don't. Okay. I think you covered it pretty well. You know. I I think just yeah. Trey Norwood, the head scratcher. Adrian Ely. It doesn't surprise me, but also I don't think it's it really hurts that much. Um, Chandler Morris. I don't love. Rambo, hope he does well. JMT, hope he does well. Barnes, hope he does well. All right, so at this point, I want to bring in our listener question from Facebook. And thanks to Philip for providing this question. I know Philip uh, usually leaves us a lot of feedback, leaves us questions, talking points, gives us his takes and thoughts as well. So appreciate that, Philip. And this will kind of tee us up for the players that are going to be back next year as we can kind of get in that discussion. So Philip says from the West of Evers Facebook page. After guys leaving for the NFL and transfer portal, is it all as expected? I think I think the question would basically, is this what we expected, essentially? And we kind of just covered that throughout the first part of this episode, whether it was expected or not. But the second part of the question is, uh, is the trajectory for next year severely damaged? I'm still hoping for national championship number eight next year. Or has that prospect been taken off the table at this point? If you put our chances for a national title next year at a percentage after that Cotton Bowl, what would that percentage look like now in your opinion? So it's a great question, and that's what everyone wants to know. And uh, we're going to have all offseason to talk about it. But as of right now, uh, you know, Grant, let's just let's let's do just a quick off the top of our head. Our our percentage of national title chances for OU just without you know knowing what we know now without diving deep into it honestly I couldn't tell you much about other teams next year what they look like all I know is I mainly know a lot about Iowa State seems like they're they're thinking next year is pretty big year too because a lot of their good players are coming back Uh, okay so what percent would I put Oklahoma at winning a national title next year boy that's I mean let's okay in 2020 their percent going into the season was probably like, I don't know, maybe 10%. I just it, very unlikely. I mean, it's, I think the numbers are going to be just generally unlikely because Oklahoma is still pretty far away. But what makes it interesting for this next year is that in theory, they're supposed to be a lot closer. 
and maybe other teams will be down. Trevor Lawrence is out the door. Uh, Mac Jones is out the door, but I suppose Alabama could just plug in quarterback, so maybe their next guy's going to be just as good. Um, let's see who else. Ohio, Justin Fields is gone, so okay. I'm trying to think of like the big name players, big name teams. Um, Florida Trask is gone. Okay. No, of all the, uh, of of kind of like the consensus top five or six, only Georgia and OU return their quarterback. Um. Okay. So I um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think OU is they're they're gonna have their best chances in the preseason since Riley has been here for sure. Like we we, we talked about in the last podcast, twenty seventeen didn't become a, a distinct and realistic possibility until they went in and, and beat you know Ohio State and Columbus. Everyone was kind of surprised by that. Um, this year, it's like yeah, this is gonna be the first time under Riley where they are legitimately you know a. a legitimately a national title contender one of the you know three or four teams that has the best chance to win it going into the year um my like yeah my my feeling has not changed at all I, I don't think these early departures have have lowered the ceiling for this team at all I, I think they're still very capable of winning a national title this is assuming that they're going to add some people from you know from the transfer portal because they will um but no I mean I I don't these guys leaving have not have not injured them to that core yet. I mean, I think Stevenson was the biggest one because I think he, you know, he, uh, he represented uh, a dynamic running game and something that, you know, with Kennedy Brooks being back, that would have been a really healthy one, two punch. Um, but all the other guys, I, I still think, you know, their, their goals are right in front of them. Um, someone like Adrian Ely, obviously you're, you're maybe concerned about him leaving, but, the guys are on the roster that you want, you know, for him to take that spot. Anton Harrison is there. Eric Swinson is coming back, and I realize that we don't want Eric Swinson, you know, to to necessarily be a starter. But you know, that's that's a guy who has started over twenty games in his career at OU. Um, and that's not even to mention they're definitely going to get guys from the transfer portal. Um, there's guys that they signed yeah, in the last. Yeah, class. But what is your number? What is your percent? That's the thing. We all that stuff you said, we know, we know that, and I and I'm with you. I I don't think they. I guess to answer one part of Philip's question, I, I agree. I, I don't think that their chances took a major hit with the departures and the players. So leaving. what's my number? Okay, I'm, I'm, my number right now, as it stands, and it hasn't changed regarding, is about ten percent. They've about a ten percent chance of winning a national title. Ooh, okay. That's that's lower than I thought you'd go. I so here's the thing. It's it's definitely not going to be above fifty because that would uh, imply that they are a slight like one of the few favorites to win it all. And honestly, there's not going to be any team except for maybe Alabama, considering just based on their reputation, that would potentially be maybe a favorite. And that's I mean they're losing a lot of players, but they always reload. I would say it's it's something like I'm going to put it at like thirty percent. I'm going to say, obviously, it's, it's a long shot, but I'm going to give it more than 10 because I think this is going to be the closest Oklahoma's had, and given the, the rest of college football, hopefully it kind of lines up with, with Oklahoma maybe hitting that stride and playing better and, and hopefully developing players more. I'm going to put it all the way up at 30%, which seems low, but it's really not. I mean, that's pretty high considering winning a national championship hasn't happened in what, 20, whatever years. Yeah, I was saying, hasn't been close in years. 10, 10% in my mind is remarkably high. Um, like you, you say that was their chances of winning a title coming into this year. No, their chances of winning a title coming into this year was zero. It wasn't going to happen. Um, okay. But that's not true though. That's not, it wasn't zero. There's always a, there's always a chance at something. 
I mean, if it's at ten percent, what would uh, what, what would you say George's chances are then? Uh, since they're returning the their same. quarterback, about the same, about the same. Okay, yeah. so yeah, I mean, and and you're thinking in terms of like Vegas gambling. Like, okay, if you're an odds maker, you know, I'll put all these teams yeah, in. Yeah, like, like I would in my say, mind, I'm thinking, okay, what would o- I would yeah. say right now, like, like Alabama, I would probably give them like a twenty five percent chance to win it. I'd give Clemson about a twenty percent chance to win it. Um, and then everyone else below that is probably a, like the Ohio, the Oklahoma's, Georgia's, Ohio State's of the world at about ten percent, and everyone else is basically nah, it's not going to happen. So um, Ohio State, just, I, 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 did I mention them? Yeah, you would throw them in there too. Yeah, yeah. All right, so and should have done this earlier, but this is a good timing for now. The national title game's over. They always release these way too early odds for the next national champion and of course they are out now top team is alabama not surprising they're at plus 300 clemson is at plus 400 ou is at plus 750 so oklahoma has the third best odds to win it all according to the that the particular odds i just brought up right there so i mean that yeah, we're not crazy, and I mean, and everyone kind of figured this out. I mean, we're not crazy and thinking Oklahoma's got a good chance, but uh, that's pretty good. I mean, I can't imagine that they've been that high in the pre, you know, right after the season ended, as far as chances to win at all uh, in years. I mean, that's probably the highest they've been. So, uh, so yeah, so that that kind of answers the question. But let's go into more details about who's coming back to kind of back up what we're thinking. And you mentioned a couple of players, but we'll start with the offensive line. So there, Marquise Hayes and Tyrese Robinson are as far as I can tell, are, are coming back. I, uh, they're returning, so Oklahoma, their two starting guards are back. That's great. Uh, Lincoln Riley mentioned that Eric Swenson is going to come back. Um, he's Maybe, I guess, he would take, take advantage of that extra year of eligibility because of COVID. And then the, uh, one of the bigger ones that I, I guess was kind of up in the air, but I, you know, we didn't really think it was going to be a problem, is Nick Benito, and he announced Monday that he's coming back. Uh, he could have gone. He's only been, you know, he he was eligible to go to the draft. He's been in, in school for three years. But Benito is coming back, and, and he tweeted out saying that, hey, Sooner Nation, we're going for number eight. And so, I mean, that's the mindset. I mean, it's the goal is is very clear, as we talked about a lot after the uh, the Florida game, that the, <laughs> these these guys want to go for national title. So those are the main guys returning that were maybe up in the air. Uh, I guess, I don't know. I mean, Benito's the main one, but... Uh, anybody anything on those guys that that off the top of your head that is intriguing or I mean obviously it's good to have Hayes and Robinson back yeah I mean it's it's nice and then also kind of add in Chris Murray you know the transfer from UCLA who got a little bit of run uh, he's a guy who is who is definitely going to be a starter on the offensive line somewhere next year whether or not that's at center or right guard or, or whatnot um, but yeah I mean I, I think everyone kind of has an idea of what this team is going to need to do to become national championship good I think everyone knows that the offensive line has got to be better um and I think a lot of that's going to come with development like for instance I'm, I'm really expecting Anton Harrison to take that next step OU to be a national title contender next year a serious one needs Anton Harrison to take the starting job from Eric Swenson and be an NFL caliber left tackle they need that that needs to happen um or they need to go into the transfer portal and get somebody uh, who could also fill that, and maybe they could, you know, give Anton Harrison a little more time to develop and whatnot. Um, they need Marquise Hayes to put it all together. I, I mean, I, I think there's at times where Marquise Hayes looks to be maybe the most talented offensive lineman they have in the program. 
The guy should not move as well for how big he does, for you know, for how big he is. And there's just way too much inconsistency. That needs to be better. Um, and then of course, you know, you you hope guys like Andrew Rame, maybe you know, uh, Noah Nelson, Nate Anderson, stuff like that can can take a step and be good. Um, but yeah, and, you know, honestly, like I think Tyrese Robinson at right guard needs to be a lot better. Or someone needs to take a spot. That that's kind of where we are right now. Obviously, you're 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 happy that he's coming back because Tyrus Johnson has been good at times, but just again, kind of the same broken record with everything else. That consistency is not there, and when he is not consistent and when he is not good, he's really he's typically really bad, and it blows plays up. Um, so you know that that stuff has got to be cleaned up. Well, let's look at the starting offensive line projected right now. I mean, if if Swinson is coming back, like Riley said, he is. I mean, he played left tackle all year. There, there he is at left tackle, I guess, question mark. Then you got Marquise Hayes at left guard. Uh, center with Creed Humphrey moving on. You got, I mean, Murray can play it. Uh, McIver's there. Uh, Andrew Rame could play a little bit of center, I guess. I don't know. I mean, uh, right guard, Tyrese Robinson. And I was thinking, I mean, at right tackle, I mean, that's, that's Anton Harrison. He'll, slip, he'll, he'll probably take over for Adrian Ely, would he Here's, not? Yeah, here, like in terms of projected, and this is me making a prediction, I think the, the starting offensive line next year is going to be uh, transfer portal at left tackle. Hayes at left guard. I think you'll see Chris Murray slide over to be the starting center. And I think you really want Andrew Rame to take Tyrese Robinson's job. You you really want that. Um, and then and then yeah, I think Anton Harrison it, it w- would be the right tackle in that scenario. So um, I I think that's probably how the coaches want it to play out as well. But I guess we'll see what happens. All right, so that's the offensive line uh, returners. We mentioned, obviously, Perkins is gone. Uh, we didn't really go into the defensive line. We, it was the, maybe the biggest strength of their entire team in 2020. I kind of want to take a look at the defensive line and the outlook for, for that position group and everyone coming back. I, I think Perrion Winfrey is coming back. I, I know he had some sort of tweet that people took as him returning and to me, I guess it, it was, but it, to me, it really wasn't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's tweeted anything since then, but as far as I know, I think he's back. So, I mean, that's a big one, obviously. Then I, I think Isaiah Thomas is coming back. I'm, I'm pretty sure he might have. Uh, I don't know if all these guys directly said it, but it's it's almost kind of like the way they've talked or some of the tweets. Um, and then you got Jordan Kelly, Josh Ellison, Roberson, Stripling. Uh, will will Laron Stokes use his COVID year of eligibility? Will he come back? Uh, technically, he could, but I haven't heard anything about Laron Stokes. I mean, he was a depth piece this year. Uh, Marcus Hicks, will he ever play? I, I don't know. I mean, I think he's been hurt a lot. And then the big one, Jalen Redmond is going to be back next season, which is huge. And then you have, I looked at their recruiting class, you got five defensive linemen in the 2021 class coming in. So there's a lot of defensive linemen in this program going into 2021 so even with with Perkins moving on that gives us some confidence that that you know defensive end defensive you know interior inside outside Oklahoma still should be pretty darn good up front next season yeah I mean I I think um I think their defensive line the outlook for next season is just is is extremely positive uh I'm I'm excited for the group to be honest with you because all that happens with Ronnie Perkins going to the NFL is you just you slide Isaiah Thomas just right back over to end and then just conveniently enough, you're able to plug Jalen Redmond back in, who, you know, I mean, kind of quietly at the end of his sophomore season was arguably the best defensive lineman on OU's roster. Um, and now he is he's back. 
uh, presumably healthy and, and hopefully ready to go. Um, I don't know. Like, I, do you think, or is it, is it unreasonable to, to expect Jalen Redmond to kind of pick up where he left off in 2019? You know, I, if he does, if he does, the defensive line is going to be better next year. Like they, they will be, I'm, I'm not going to say much better, but I mean, I think their ceiling is higher if, if Redmond can pick up where he left off. Well, obviously you hope that they get more of a traditional offseason this time. Hopefully they can get in and work out and have spring ball and on all the summer workouts. You hope for that. Uh, with Redmond, if that happens, I, I think it's not unreasonable to expect him to jump in and be a starter right away because I would hope that throughout camp, throughout uh, the summer, throughout I'm – going, I'm going backwards, by the way – throughout spring ball – that when he gets inserted into that lineup, he'll, he'll feel like he needs to reprove himself and he'll get pushed by all of these talented players. And, he, and if he is as good as we remember him being and think he is, he should step up to the challenge as long as he's healthy. I know that he had some injury issues at the end of the 2019 season, I think with his shoulder. Um, so, I mean, by now that he should be fully healthy, good to go. And barring any injury, I... I'm excited to see him develop again, and I, you know, give him uh, obviously, you know, a couple games here and there. But yeah, I, I would totally expect him if the off season is relatively normal. I would expect him to to jump right back in and be just as impactful in this defense because a, a lot of his game is just athleticism, strength, uh, and just pushing people around. And I mean, I don't know how much how much time it takes to to get that back. I, I mean. As long as he's been working out and staying in shape, which I have no reason to believe he's not. I know he's been practicing with the team for for weeks. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to expect him to be at a pretty high level pretty quickly, uh, especially if it's a traditional offseason. Oh, yeah, um, man, I'm, then I'm excited. I mean, there's there's yeah. a lot of ability coming back in that, you know, in that position group. Uh, guys, you didn't even did you mention Marcus Stripling and Reggie Grimes? And I mean, those uh, are guys. You know, yeah. guy like Stripling, that's going to be his third year in the program. You would think maybe that's a, that's that's when he kind of puts a lot of stuff together. Uh, Corey Roberson started to show a lot of kind of like grown man flashes at the end of the season. What I mean, what if he develops? I like. Yeah. Can, can you imagine if you like if you just you take a guy or two, and if they can develop along the same lines that Isaiah Thomas did from year three to year four, like he did this year? I mean, boom. I mean, that's that's a big deal. So. Um, yeah, I mean, OU fans have every right to be excited about this defensive line next year. I, they're going to be really, really good. I don't think there's any doubt about that. All right, that's about all I I have really scheduled for this, uh, like hard stuff, data that I, you know, not necessarily data, but like notes I had. But I have a couple other talking points that I think our listeners will find of interest. By the way, just going to throw this in there, talking about how you hope Eric Swenson gets his job taken. He was according to the Associated Press, the best uh, best tackle in uh, bowl season, or at least according to Pro Football Focus, he got the highest grade of any offensive lineman in bowl season. So Eric Swinson um, pushing back at doubters ever since uh, day one or ever since day one of 2020 maybe. Um, I don't know. So I just want to throw that out there. He had a good game. I, I don't – I you know, it's congrats on the good game. I don't I it's meaningless it's completely meaningless <laughs> well it would have been it would have probably meant something if he had a poor game against uh what Florida put out there defensively uh, so I think this is could be a pretty 
interesting discussion. I, we didn't talk much at all about this leading up to the game and after the game, but no Jaden Hazelwood at all in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I guess uh, Lincoln Riley said that it was an excused absence for uh, personal reasons or it was a personal situation more specifically. So I, I know that other Oklahoma podcasts and blogs and, and insiders have more info on Jaden Hazelwood than, than we will have. It sounds like a very unique, weird situation. Uh, obviously, he came back from injury. He got some targets this year, but not a whole lot late in the season. He's a player that was the most promising young receiver they had at the end of the 2019 season going into 2020. And then all of a sudden, he, and during the offseason, he gets that injury. And then, you know, he, he's never been the same since. So Jaden Hazelwood's a guy. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't uh, transferred. He's still on the roster. I as, as of right now, I mean, I don't, I don't know why he wouldn't be on Oklahoma, but I guess there's still plenty of time for him to, if he's not happy with things, to leave. But the, the point is, I, I want to talk about wide receivers in general, and I rewatched the Cotton Bowl a little bit, and I, you know, I don't, we don't need to talk in, in detail about the Cotton Bowl, but I just wanted to kind of get you know, more thoughts on that game in case it came up in conversation here. And I just, once again, and I texted you this during the game, and I thought the same exact thing rewatching it. Oklahoma has got to get better at wide receiver. It just, it's not, Theo Weiss had not one, but two drops in that game. One of them was, was egregious on that long explosive pass play that uh, if he breaks a tackle, could have been a touchdown. If, if not, Oklahoma's in field goal range at the very worst. That's when the game was 17-3. to Oklahoma ended up having to punt on that drive, and Florida was able to get back in it. And later in the game, he dropped a, uh, a, a comeback route just right in his hands, just dropped it. I mean, I think he had more dropped touchdowns this year than he actually had touchdowns so I mean that is a huge problem he needs to not drop as many balls uh, obviously Rambo w wasn't up to you know our stand like what we thought he would he could be uh, Trajan Bridges didn't play until the last two games and when he did play he only had a handful of snaps if that Marvin Mims was a bright spot but I would have liked to see the, them use him more and, and get him the ball in different ways they did not so Hazelwood the point is if if, if he comes back and Again, I don't, I don't know if he's leaning one way or the other. I'm just saying, like, he one, he needs to be fully healthy, and they need to get guys like him more involved in the offense to help out Spencer Rattler. Uh, I don't know much about the incoming receivers they have in, in the 2021 class, but uh, in order for Oklahoma to be a, a legitimate national title contender, they got to get better at that position, man. And watching the national title game just made me think, oh, my gosh, like, it is – they got to figure out ways to get the football to their playmakers. And I came away from, and I know I'm kind of rambling at this point, but uh, I wasn't planning on this. So this is me just, again, kind of word vomit in a way. I came away watching that national title game thinking, holy cow, Steve Sarkeesian does a really good job of scheming easy ways to get Devontae Smith the football in tons of space, wide open. I mean, they move him around all the time motioning back behind the line of scrimmage um, kind of creative routes where it looks like he's blocking and then he releases he's wide open and Mac Jones I mean stare I mean he is the number one guy I mean it was insane all the different ways they were able to give him the ball wide open and I, I thought holy cow what it, should Lincoln Riley be a lot more creative in getting the football to certain players like I mean I, I know Marvin Mims is a true freshman I would have loved to see Marvin Mims get the football in a lot more different ways like Devontae Smith was getting in that national title game where he had the ball in space trying to make people move. He's their punt returner, for gosh sakes. So, like, I, 
I came away from that game thinking like, wow, I mean, Oklahoma needs to find ways to get the ball to their playmakers in more creative ways, and they need to get better at wide receiver. Rant over. <laughs> I, I agree that they need to get better at wide receiver, but I, I also think that there's... I think the ability is there. I think we've seen enough ability. It's just it's just about young guys putting it all together. Maybe I'm looking at it with rose-colored glasses. Um, but yeah, I mean the receivers were not went through they went through growing pains this year for sure, um, and they do have to be a lot better. I, I but I, I just I think I think it has a lot to do with just not a ton of continuity, not having a real off season to be able to throw with Spencer Rattler and all of that. Jaden Hazelwood was towards ACL. Uh, Trajan Bridges was suspended for a large part of this, you know, uh, a large part of this offseason or not offseason. He was probably still practicing, but you know, my my point stands. I I think I think they're going to be fine at receiver. You know, Austin Stogner is there too. He's basically he's a, he's a receiver. Drake Stoops is good. Um, I think I think even you 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 underrate Marvin Mims a little bit. Marvin Mims is a freaking stud. Like he is. Marvin Mims is the best receiver in the Big Twelve, and they have him going into well, next I just, season. I just a second ago, essentially, you know, in a roundabout way, kind of compared him to Devontae Smith. So, I mean, I, like, he's the guy that I would have preferred Oklahoma try to get the ball in space a lot this year in hindsight because I think he's their best playmaker at wide receiver. Yeah, I, and I agree, but also, and I, I'm kind of, I'm taking, I remember kind of near bowl time, the Sooner Scoop podcast was talking about this, but they were talking about how Mims in the second half of the season was banged up and that a lot of the time, that's why he didn't get a lot of snaps in the second half of the season, um, I, that makes okay. sense to me. I, 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 that it makes sense that you wouldn't see your best receiver because he's hurt and he only goes out and runs certain routes and whatnot. And I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. He's kind of a small, wiry guy who didn't have a full, real off season. Um, Mims is a guy I think we're going to take a step uh, that takes a step next year to be all American good. I, I've been kind of chewing on this a little bit. And I think, I think a lot of people expect sort of Jaden Hazelwood to take over that alpha spot in, in the receiver room. But I mean, the guy is there. It's Marvin Mims. The guy, he's, he's extremely good. Uh, I think, I think Mims is, is probably going to take the step next year uh, to, to be all American good. Um, and I'm excited to see that. I, I haven't had a lot of, you know, I, I think this is the first time we've, we've mentioned the whole Jaden Hazelwood snafu. Um, that was a thing I sort of missed just because I was I was on vacation in the lead up to the bowl game um, and wasn't really following the message boards and all that stuff, you know, on an hour by hour basis like I typically would. Um, I know there was a lot of confusion that surrounded the Jaden Hazelwood stuff. Um, listen to Sooner Scoop and any guys who were kind of close to the program. They were saying that a lot of the coaches were sort of surprised by this whole thing and didn't make a lot of sense. And it was a weird deal. Um, cause what, I mean, what was it? He was saying that he opted out and he wasn't with the team. I think there was some rumors that it was injury related, but then on like the day of the bowl game, he was posting videos on social media of him working out and stuff like that. Um, and you know, I, I, I never want to get into something that's, that's not my place and not, but, um, I, you know, I just, to me, there's, there's one thing that makes all of this make perfect sense. And I just, I, I just, Knowing what Jaden's been through this last year and what this entire country's been through and what's been going on with the lockdown and everything, my first thought was, and I hope someone at the program is checking on his mental health. Um, and so I don't want to speculate. I don't want to do anything, but I know there was a lot of confusion surrounding it. And I, I know just the hardships that he's gone through. Uh, and then with the pandemic, with his torn ACL, him being far from home, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I mean, the, there could be some of that in there, but I, I've also uh, I, I have heard that there there also could be 
some elements of he was upset about playing time once he came back. He, he was not getting as many snaps as, as he would have liked. Uh, so I, th- I think there's an, an element of that as well. And, and these are all these are young college kids. They're going to they get emotional. Um, and, you know, and so how much did that factor in as well? I, I mean, Oklahoma's a better football team with Jaden Hazelwood. Hopefully he's, he's on the roster when the when spring ball starts and next season starts. I know Lincoln Riley said a lot of positive things over the years about Jaden Hazelwood being a team guy. And so hopefully that sticks because um, Oklahoma needs more more dynamic playmakers at the wide receiver spot. And it's just crazy considering a couple of years ago when all of these guys signed these three five-star wide receivers. I mean, it's it, it hasn't really hasn't I don't know there, there's been a couple exciting moments I mean like Theo Weiss's touchdown against Baylor last season was boom that was big and then his performance against Texas this year was really good but outside of that I I can't think of a big moment for him Jaden Hazelwood I, I know he had a couple moments in 2019 but nothing too too mind-blowing and then I mean really I mean he had that catch against Iowa State where uh, Rattler layered it over a couple players, and, and that was kind of it. And then, obviously, you got Bridges, who did stuff early in the season in 2019. And then the most memorable thing about Bridges, aside from the fact that he's been suspended for the whole year, is that he was uh, involved with the Kansas State onside kick stuff. <laughs> I mean, and I can't even remember what – I think, did he – oh, because he touched it earlier or something like that. We were – yeah, I mean, that's like the most memorable thing with Trajan Bridges. So it's it's like these three players that had such high expectations – uh, kind of filling in after C.D. Lamb left, and it's been a whole lot of mostly blah. Yeah, but it's also only been. I know Lincoln Riley's got to be frustrated too. They've also only been on the field. You know, they've also only been in the program for two seasons. The first season is really easily, you know, easy to explain. You had C.D. Lamb. You had a, you had quite a bit of quite a bit of uh, um, of experience at receiver coming into that season. You also had a, a Jalen Hurts, a guy who was new to the program, new to the system. Um, and of course, in the second half of the season, you saw that that playbook really shrink uh, when it was clear that Jalen Hurts couldn't really execute the more kind of complex passing comp- uh, concepts. I mean, it all makes sense. And then and then Jaden Hazelwood tears his ACL. Bridges gets suspended. Theo Weiss is the only guy who has been here who hasn't been hurt or suspended or anything like that. Um, it's only been two years, you know. And and if, and. I just, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think Hazelwood getting hurt in the offseason and, and Bridges being suspended, like, I, I, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if those guys would have started at the beginning of the season totally healthy, not suspended, good to go. I think those would have been your top two receivers on the team. Um, hopefully, there's a smooth offseason, and I, yeah, maybe all of this, maybe I'm delusional, and this is all just evidence that it's not going to work out. I don't know, but um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not as no, worried about the receiver as, as you would be. Okay. No, and you make good points. I mean, this it, it is a weird, a weird year and for a lot of different reasons. So, yeah, I mean, you hope for a traditional offseason. Everybody stays put. Everyone comes back healthy. And week one, they're out there. And, yeah, I mean, they definitely could and could be the number one number. And, you know, you got Hazelwood, Bridges, and, and Marvin Mims, and you, you throw in Austin Stogner, and you're thinking, okay, that, that sounds pretty good. I, I like the sound of that. Yeah, that would be great. Um, best case scenario for sure. Aside from that, uh, a couple of news and notes I just wanted to briefly mention. Uh, this isn't that big of a deal, but uh, man, because he's such a good dude, and it's just, it really sucks that uh, he had the concussion stuff. But Grant Calcaterra, he was going to go to Auburn, 
But now he's not going to go to Auburn anymore because I'm guessing because they fired their entire coaching staff. And now we got uh, Brian Harson coming in. So uh, Calcaterra is another guy now looking for a new a new place. Man, it'd be cool if he if he gets somewhere and is able to play a full season and, and you know have 50 catches or something and score six to eight touchdowns. And because, I mean, he man, he had the tools. He had the tools to be your your new age kind of move tight end in the NFL he, he did he had it I mean but now it, it's I don't know it with the injury history and it's just it's it's an uphill battle for him so that's something that um is kind of worth monitoring and then also I just wanted to mention that TJ Pledger is going to go to Utah so okay that's kind of random I didn't I mean I guess I didn't know where he'd be going but I mean going to the Pac-12 he's going to a, a, a power five school and Best of luck to TJ Pledger. Hopefully he can, uh, I guess, continue to play or build on his uh, 2020 season. I think that's where Charlie uh, Brewer is going too, Utah. Oh. Huh. Kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, I didn't uh, – yeah, the Pledger to Utah thing kind of caught me by surprise. But, um, I mean, I, I got to think – I mean, that's a, that's a smart – that's a good program. That's a really good program. So um, they, they put guys in the NFL pretty consistently. Um, so hopefully that's, that, that's a place where he can get his shot and he can get a lot of carries. We'll see. All right, Grant, on the rundown here, I got a couple other talking points. Not sure how much, how many thoughts you have on that, but I I think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention that, uh, Bob Stoops is now part of the college football hall of fame, obvious, easy one, first ballot hall of famer. I mean, he's, he's a legend. He's a living legend. Uh, I mean, Bob Stoops to, to you and I, I mean, that that's Oklahoma football. I mean, we, we're we're not you know we're kind of like in a you know the the late millennial type generation we we started watching football when bob stoops was the head coach at oklahoma i mean that was the first the first year that i remember watching any sort of college football in in a serious fashion was 1999 when bob stoops was at oklahoma i i i don't remember any football before that i didn't i was a kid i didn't pay attention to it and for just for whatever reason it just it worked out that coincidentally that was the first year and obviously the the rest is history. So he goes into the Hall of Fame, much deserving, and man, he's he's only sixty and he looks like he looks younger than that. You wouldn't even think he's sixty years old, but he's got tons of years left. I mean, I know the XFL wants to come back. I'm not sure if he wants to coach in the XFL again. I'm I'd be curious to see if he coaches again. I don't know. I mean, he didn't get it really much of a chance in the XFL because it was so quick. But um, I mean, I, I'm a guy. I look towards the future a lot. So I mean. We can easily look back on his career, and everyone knows how good of a you know, good of a career and good of a resume he's he's had, um, and that's that's fine. You want to talk about that? We can talk about it. But um, I mean, we to me, it's it's kind of over, and I'm I'm curious more about what he does in the future, if anything. Still a little weird to me um, when he's not on the sidelines. To be honest, um, it just it, it honestly it it still just feels like yesterday. Uh, that he retired and and it was it just it was a whirlwind and it all just kind of came out of nowhere um man it's crazy was this 17 18 this was his fourth season as OU's head coach or this was Bob Stoops's fourth season not being there yeah um it's crazy man that's that's it's crazy to think and uh yeah it's like I mean what what can I you know when I'm when I'm an old man and I'm on my deathbed and I'm I'm reminiscent about all of the good times I mean, Bob Stoops was a was a central figure, like in my childhood, and um, and also growing up into my early twenties and into and into adulthood. And there's just no way of getting around that. 
that you know that man who I'll never meet ever in my entire life in all likelihood was a was a major part of my life for a long time and so it's always it's it's still weird that he's not down there um but I'm sure that'll get better with time yeah and I mean, I'll just bring this up because I, I think everyone under understands this on this podcast uh, but I, I do think it is worth mentioning that he had I, I, don't, I don't know we, we don't I, I guess he had a book so I mean I didn't read his book that came out what a year or two ago that has more about him retiring and whatnot uh, so I guess there's more details in there probably but I mean this the 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 selflessness to go out when he did because at the time I'll be honest with you I was I was kind of like ah this seems kind of weird why would a guy who who's still pretty darn young and is still trying to get that second national title man why would this guy like he's got Baker Mayfield coming back and this team could be pretty good like why would you just step away it just kind of felt weird but now over time I, I'm I kind of do think that it was more of him like I, like Lincoln Riley's probably going to go somewhere soon. Like I, I trust this guy. I I think he would be a great fit to lead this program after I'm gone and I have a lot of respect and admiration for Oklahoma football and this program that I you know I I buy that he he said, "Yep, yeah, this is what I'm going to do and this is best for the program and me and Lincoln and every and it's just it's crazy in hindsight still to me because it's just when you're a coach and you're a human being you're I mean you have an ego you're selfish you want to win and just to kind of walk away whenever who knows I mean he they could have won it all in 2017 I mean he could have gotten that second national title and Oklahoma made the playoff um so yeah I, I just think that's that's pretty neat that he he did that and again he's still young enough to where if he really wants to he can come back and coach, and a lot of places would hire him. And I think that's kind of cool, too, because he, he kind of went out on that high note in a way where he still has a lot of credibility, man. And if he gets that itch again, he can do it. So more power to him. I love that. You know, the the further and further we get from that 2000 season, um, and I mean, and, and I only bring this up just because I, I, I had seen kind of it going around on Twitter uh, yesterday before the national title game about you know all the previous national titles that have been played in that stadium and uh, I, yeah I just kind of feel like the further and further we get from that season and that game that orange bowl against Florida State the more and more it sinks in of how special of a season that was um, and just how and of course I mean every everyone in the fan base who was there when they won that title and who is still there I think we all realize now how freaking hard it is to win a national championship. Um, and it just, yeah. Unless you're Alabama. And, you know, unless you're Alabama. But that's, that's Which, why I think, that's why I think, yeah. that's why I kind of take the position where we currently are in, in college football with the lack of parity and kind of the, the recruits going all to the exact same places. That's why I think it's kind of more of a Nick Saban problem than it is college football as a whole problem. Because what Saban is doing right now is unprecedented in basically any sport ever. Um, instead of maybe like the John Wooden days with UCLA and basketball. Um, but I, I digress. I just, yeah, I just, I just wanted to, to hammer it home that, that 2000 season and what, and what Bob Stoops was ever to kind of, was, was able to deliver to this program, to the state of Oklahoma, uh, increasingly by the year just becomes more and more special, uh, just because of just how everything that needed to go right that year, that, that, that is far from OU's best team in the last 21 seasons. It just, they're just not. Um, and 
you know, in, in, in terms of talent and, and the ability that they had, um, can you? I mean, Florida State going into that game, Lee was was every bit the juggernaut that Alabama is described as today. And OU's defense did not allow them to score a freaking point. Like that was like obviously you, you hats off credit, uh, but I mean, there's definitely some fluky nature of that game, is there not? <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess. I mean, we were kids. We, you know, we watched. We didn't know anything. Uh, I'm looking back at the history. I mean, Oklahoma was a 10 point dog. <laughs> they won it outright as a 10 point dog. Uh, I, I guess. Man, I had never looked back to see what the what you know what the the spread was in that game until just right now. Because um, obviously we were we were younger and the whole betting line that didn't matter. It wasn't even part of our purview. But I just but wow. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think it's really interesting. That I think, you know, I, I think the best Oklahoma team since, you know, since they won their national title in the 80s has been that 2008 team. That has been the best Oklahoma team since then. Um, and they couldn't win a national title. In fact, they lost two games somehow. And I just, yeah, I, I, just, I think it makes it even more special that that 2000 team, I mean, just, I mean, the gauntlet that they went through in October with Texas, Nebraska, and Kansas State, um, I, that, that's just it's just crazy what an incredibly special year I'm just I'm I'm happy that I was able to I'm happy that I still have lots of memories from that season man uh the last thing on this though it's it's crazy when you think back to that that season and if you ever go back and watch highlights or whatever it just seems so darn dated now especially when you go back to that October whatever they called it uh what was red, like, october. red october yeah and because when you watch the Nebraska game like my God, Nebraska was still running the triple option <laughs> or whatever the wish, whatever the heck Nebraska ran the wishbone. I don't, I mean, it's like, my God, Eric Crouch is back there. And it's like, Oh my goodness. That's, this is like what we make fun of almost all the time about old college football and kind of being unwatchable. It's, it's slowly kind of getting to that, that stage, especially probably for, for people that are OU fans that are like in high school and maybe you're in college right now. I mean, that, that season is probably like ancient to them, which is crazy. Oh, I know. I, I think about that all the time too. Um, go back and watch their game, their two games that year against K State. Though K State was legit. They they don't they didn't look super stuck like in in the nineties or the eighties or it does. They were they were running. Uh, I don't know. With I know with Michael Bishop and L. Roberson again in two thousand three, they were running a lot of kind of like hurry up athletic things for their quarterback. So. Uh, all right, so Bob Stoops, legend, Hall of Famer. There we go. Uh, lastly, I um, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on the Texas stuff. I, I mean, I'll be on the record. I don't know if I've said on the podcast that Texas stuff does not interest me as much as I think it interests the normal OU follower or fan or whatever. It just to me, Texas has been irrelevant. They they haven't they haven't been good on the national stage since Mac Brown was there, and so I just don't care that much again relative to i think a lot of ou fans about what they do i was surprised that they fired um tom herman because like everyone you saw that you know they kind of gave him the thumbs up you know back in december i mean it was kind it wasn't like a fully he'll be back in 2021 but it wasn't you know fully like oh you know we're we're gonna move on and then signing day comes and you know the bowl game comes and it's like all right they're gonna go with herman again and then they go with steve sarkeesian out of nowhere and I mean, Steve Sarkeesian's career record as a head coach is 
pretty pedestrian. It's like right around 500. He coached at USC, of course, a couple of years. And then in the middle of the year, then the whole thing came up with him and uh, he had problems. He had alcohol problems. And he's I mean, he's obviously bounced back and good for him. Great for him. He's he went to the NFL for a bit with the Falcons. He's been hanging out with Nick Saban and and he's an offensive guy. And, and he was at Washington, too, before USC. And so I'm I'm genuinely interested, actually, in the kind of offense he brings, because how many times have I, ma- I made fun of Texas's offense on this podcast every single year? It's it's not a very good offense it, I know statistically sometimes it is. It's not good, though. And Sarkeesian is going to probably bring something a lot better to Austin. Will he have guys that can run it? They got to get a running back back there. Is Casey Thompson a good quarterback? He might be. I don't know. I mean, so in that sense, I'm kind of interested because even though Sarkeesian's head coaching record is, again, right around 500, not like a world beater, he's gone through a lot of stuff in his life, and he has bounced back, and he has probably been humbled and learned a lot from that, especially in adulthood. And he probably learned a lot from Nick Saban in, what, the, the, the one or two years at Alabama. So he could be a pretty darn good hire for Texas moving forward. What do you think? Yeah, I think he could be. Um, I, I think in terms of, of pure X's and O's football chops, uh, I think it's about as good as a hire you probably could have made with, with people who are available. Um, having that been said with Texas, it's, it's never just about the X's and O's and getting a good football guy in there. It's all about the other parts of the job. How do you deal with the boosters? How do you deal with the administration? How do you deal with the fan base? That's always what it was about at Texas. That was the reason why Mac Brown was so good there, because he's a delegator. He's a politician. Um, if Sark wants to come in there and just wants to be a football guy and be a football junkie, it's not going to work. It won't work. Um, that's what it always always is with Texas. You always have to deal with the, the ancillary things. So, um, I, like I said, yeah, I, I think in terms of pure football X's and O's, it was a good hire for Texas. Um, we'll see how much Sark has learned from you know, from his tutelage with Saban, though, because that's something that Saban is really good at, is of being a politician, a delegator, um, while at the same time also being a football genius. And I think that's kind of what you have to be at, at Texas. You have to be a politician. You have to know how to work a room. You have to, you have to shake a lot of hands. Um, can Sark do that? If he can, then he can be successful there. But if that's something that he doesn't have a lot of interest in doing, he will not be successful, bottom line. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I'm I'm curious as well. Aside from what's the offense going to look like, is it going to be a lot better? Will it, will it translate to Texas? And I, I kind of think it will. Defensively, he's not a defensive guy. Who does he bring in? Who runs the defense? Is their defense going to be any good? Because I mean, Saban's a defensive guy. I mean, I'm telling the, you, Alabama defense always figures it out. And I'm telling you, I don't I don't know what the hell Ohio State was doing last night, but Sarkeesian is going to be challenged much more from a X's and O's standpoint in the Big 12 than he was on on Monday night in the national title game. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. that was from Ohio State, but that was that like I I mean I have no clue what that was. Literally none whatsoever. Uh, and whereas, you know, in in the Big 12, Sark's going to have to deal with a bunch of people basically emulating Iowa State um and, and you know and 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 everything that comes with that. So We'll see. I, I I don't know. The X's and O's in the Big Twelve are are very good. I so um, I, they yeah. It's it's not uh, doesn't take a genius to say they couldn't cover Devonte Smith, but uh, their strategy for covering him for most of the game seemed very weird to me. I mean they they 
whenever he was killing them in zone, then they tried to put put that corner on them. And man, and the corner was awful. I, I don't I don't know why that corner is considered to be this great draft prospect. I was listening to uh, Joel Klatt earlier today, and apparently he's. Uh, do you know his name? I'm sorry, I don't remember. Sean Wade, twenty four. Wade, yeah, I guess he's given up like the most touchdowns this year. Yeah, he should have opted like, out from a corner. I. I so he, so to me, he's only considered a big time prospect because of the the, the jersey he wears. Because at Ohio State, no, he, he was really good. He looks slow. Year. He looks like he's got bad technique. He does not look good. I mean, I know Devontae Smith is obviously the Heisman Trophy winner, but come on, you got to be better than that if you're supposed to be one of the top corner prospects. And then the the, the big one that I, I I tweeted like I didn't tweet much at all, but just one I, I tweeted. I have no idea what the free safety was doing on that that touchdown. His third touchdown of the first half. I have no idea what the free safety was doing. They were playing either quarters or cover three, and the free safety in the middle of the field just decided to to go away from Devontae Smith, even though Devontae Smith was right in front of him the entire time in the in the, in the slot and opened up an easy throwing window for Mac Jones. It was I, I don't know what that guy what the heck the guy was doing. And so if that's the kind of coverage Ohio State was playing all season long, which they didn't play that many games, but I guess yeah, maybe their secondary and their, their coverage was that bad. Then, yeah, Devontae Smith is good, but holy cow. The Ohio State's defense was embarrassing. They were embarrassing. Ugh. And, did, I mean, did you notice that they very rarely had more than four defensive backs on the field? Very rarely did that happen. And I don't know what the hell oh. they were doing. I don't, like, I have no clue what they were doing. I mean, it was, they, I, mean, I don't well, even. Well, that third I, touchdown. Sorry that that third touchdown. I know I I, I think Herb Street mentioned uh, the linebacker that was trailing him, and I think I saw on Twitter uh, one of the one big Twitter guy mentioned, "Oh man, this is Sark. Like he he knew that this would uh, this would confuse or this would change up responsibilities in the secondary on this route, and he'd get a linebacker covering uh, Smith." And I thought, no, that's not exactly that's not what happened at all. Like the the safety had no idea what he was doing. They had he was supposed to be over the top where the linebacker was playing kind of like the deep route trailing, but there was supposed to be safety help, and he went a different direction for no reason. That wasn't, wasn't Sark. That was, that was horrible defense. Yeah, and so, so and, yeah. and I kind of, I, I was sort of talking about this, you and I privately before the game. I, I was on Alabama because um, I thought Alabama was going to be able to score a lot. Um, yeah, and, and you're and, exactly right. I, I went big, big time on that. A, a big portion of that was that because when I watched Ohio State this season, um, their defensive backs were getting roasted pretty regularly, um, and they weren't playing a lot of teams that could that could take advantage of that. Um, I mean, we're we're not that far removed from Indiana throwing for 500 yards in Ohio State. That happened six weeks ago. You know, like it's not. It wasn't that crazy. Um, Clemson didn't have a ton of success against Ohio State because Clemson, um, and this is actually one of Clemson's one of their big blind spots is that they've never been very good on the offensive line. And Ohio State just beat the crap out of them in the box in that game. Trevor Lawrence could not, could not get comfortable. The pocket was always dirty. Um, that didn't happen against Alabama. Alabama's offensive line is by far the best in the country, and they were able to, to protect Mac Jones fairly easily in that game. Actually, if you, uh, if, if you, if you listen to, uh, to, to Najee Harris after the game, he was talking about how, how um, he, had some, he had a really colorful, interesting... Uh, exchange with a reporter um, because he says something along the lines of how like Ohio State he could tell that their game plan was just to beat him up that on every play action he felt that they were shooting the gaps they were hitting him hard he said at the end that he got his you know he got his ass beat during that game um, and 
to me, that is signaling Ohio State came into that game thinking, we're just going to take away the run. We're going to take away the run and then just let the chips fall where they may. And that is just, that's not smart at all. That is just, it's just not smart, especially when the other team has the Heisman Trophy winning slot receiver. I, I just, that yeah. doesn't make any sense. Or, or it's just, it could be that, or I mean, if he's getting hit, a lot of it is just, you know, they want to keep blow, blows and blows and blows and hope that over time, then maybe that leads to a fumble or something or like, but yeah, I, I it was it was not good defense, and it was kind of nice to see a non OU terrible defense kind of get kind of get exposed on, on a national like stage. What what Alabama did to Ohio State's defense and looked exactly like what Dwayne Haskins and the Ohio State offense did to Michigan two seasons ago, in like the the end of the season game that everyone was all yeah that that when Ohio State won like fifty nine to twenty one or something and threw for five hundred yards. It looked very similar to that. Speaking of Michigan, uh, you see who they hired, or no? Do you see uh, where their XD coordinator is now coaching? Did he go to like Arizona State or something? No, Arizona. The job oh. that apparently Alex Grinch, or I guess technically Grinch, was thinking about the head coaching job. But yeah, so so okay, you mentioned you kind of called your shot a couple weeks ago about how like hey, you know, maybe that's maybe. Well, I guess it's not going to work now because then they just re-signed Harbaugh. I guess Harbaugh is going to be there for a while. So um, I was going to say, you know, hey, maybe what if you're right? What if uh, Michigan comes calling for Grinch a year from now? And it'd be bizarre if Grinch, you know, the old Michigan guy was at Arizona where Grinch reportedly or whatever <laughs> had interviewed. And some people for some reason thought Grinch might be interested in the Arizona job. Uh, that yeah. um, I'm going to weird sidebar. But yeah. this, may, this may surprise people. I think that was a really wise and smart decision by Michigan to extend Harbaugh. Um, I, I really do think that Michigan right now, um, kind of the perception of Michigan amongst the college football media and maybe just the general consensus amongst the fans is that they are more, they're more blue bloodish than they really are. This is, I mean, Michigan going nine and three is, is basically what Michigan has always done. Like it's not, they're very rarely an elite team in college football. And I know that they've. I know that they have the most AP top 25 finishes of all time. That's that's great and everything. But those existed like in like 1915 and stuff like that. I mean, Michigan has one national title since World War II. And it was very debatable whether or not they were even the best team in the country that season. Because it was a split title. I mean, M- Michigan is, is what they are. Like, this right now is about as good as Michigan can be. And them like, um, them going after and like you know, having a run for the Big Ten title and maybe a college football playoff once every four or five years seems pretty realistic to me about where they should be. And I think I think they're kind of making that determination by extending Harbaugh. I think it's smart. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of with you in, in the sense that as somebody that's not a Michigan fan, I can see what Michigan is doing. Um, but my my hang up on Harbaugh is the same thing. as It's been for, for years, and it's the, his biggest black eye as a head coach that doesn't make any sense and makes it to where um, if I'm a fan of Michigan I I want him gone because he is a quarterback he cannot develop a quarterback to save his life his quarterbacks are terrible that like that's his that's supposed to be his thing and for years and years his defense was his thing it's like you're not a defensive guy it's like again like if all of a sudden Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma their offense for 
I mean, how long has he been at Michigan now? This was, this was, what, was his fifth or sixth year? It was like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So this was his sixth year, I think, at Michigan. Can you imagine in the next six years, all of a sudden, o- Riley can't develop a quarterback and Oklahoma's offense is like in the 60s in the nation? He'd be fired before that. <laughs> well, maybe not. I don't know. But like, we'd be like, what is going on? Like, this is his thing. What, why is the offense bad? Like, but that's been happening at Michigan ever since he got there. And so if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm like, what are why can't you do why can't you do the thing that you should know the most about, which is quarterbacking in football? And that that is the one thing about him that and why I don't understand why I the you know, I mentioned Joe Clatt earlier. Joe Clatt's been a big Harbaugh defender, so has Colin Cowherd over the years, and they would never bring up that obvious fact that he could never develop a quarterback and i think maybe this year they finally kind of started talking about it a little bit with harbaugh like why can't they get a court it's like this has been a thing for ever since the beginning how are you not figuring it out now and why did you defend him so much before this whenever the one thing that he's supposed to be really good at he's not and so that's uh yeah if, if i'm a michigan fan i'm like i if i'm a rational michigan fan i kind of get it but at the same time i'm very frustrated and think all right well maybe he needs uh seven years to figure out the quarterback position maybe he needs yeah, eight just, years nine years yeah i mean i think that's a I, I think that's a fair criticism of harbaugh i think if you're a rational michigan fan you're you're happy with harbaugh if you're rational um i don't know it's i, like I guess Oklahoma yeah State i just it's thing I, too I don't where, yeah. I, I don't think michigan just where they are they do not recruit at the level of they're just they should not be as good as people think they should be they they're basically right where they should be based on how they recruit so i don't yeah the, the whole thing kind of it's yeah. just it, it's sort of confusing to me and i know they're always kind of in the shadow of ohio state and I mean, that's, that's just ohio state is a much better football program just hands down it's not even close yeah true okay lastly as we embark on another near two-hour pod man uh I wish I would not have been working Sunday night. I didn't get a chance to fully take in the Browns Steelers game because I again I was I was kind of distracted at work. I, I did see a lot of the first quarter though, which I mean that was a big part of it. It it was cool to see obviously the Browns win the game. Um it's it's not really a Baker Mayfield game. I mean, like he he played well, don't get me wrong, but I mean he he got stuck to a you know like a pretty big lead early on, and he got you know Jarvis Landry run after the catch touchdown. He, he played well. I mean, I guess don't don't take away anything from him, but uh, it's pretty neat to see Baker get you know first playoff game, decent underdog. His head coach isn't there. Uh, they're missing. I thought it was just one starting cornerback, Denzel Ward. Apparently, they're missing both of their starting corners with COVID. They were down one offensive lineman. I guess um, I think Teller. Maybe he got injured during the game as well. It's Conklin he's fine. that got injured during the game. Conklin, okay, my bad. Con- uh, so I mean, hopefully everything's fine for next week with the Chiefs. But I mean, all the, everything going against the the Browns and they put it on the Steelers. We haven't talked about Baker much at all this season, even though he's played a lot better. But uh, figure they want a playoff game. I'll be fired up to watch him against the Chiefs. I mean, that that's cool. I mean, I'm glad to see him play well, and it's it's cool for the Browns. I, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pumped. I'm re- really happy. One, really happy the Browns won. That's that's cool. Um, it while watching it live, it, it wasn't as satisfying as I kind of made it out in my head because it, it started to become very clear to me, and this is something that I that I kind of thought over the last couple months of the season too. Um, but yeah, over the last two months, Pittsburgh is a legitimately a bad football team. They're not good at all. Like they're bad. Um, 
And so they kind of did exactly what they should have done to Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, there's part of that. I mean, they're not bad. I mean, they're. I mean, they're. I, I know what you're saying. I mean, a bad football team wouldn't have came back the way they did and ever actually since, kind of made yeah. it. Ever since yeah. Pittsburgh was a was eleven and zero, they were no long. They no longer played uh, up to the caliber of a playoff football team in the sure. NFL. They were a sure. They they were a middling to below average to bad team the last six games of the year. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And uh, man, I can't remember which podcast or or what I was hearing. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like Ben Roth. Oh, I think it was Bill Simmons's podcast. I, and I like listening to his his uh, guest the line stuff with Cousin Sal. Uh, that's about all I listen to with Bill Simmons. Anyways, uh, they were talking about Roethlisberger, and it was pretty eye opening. I mean. Obviously, everyone remembers the start of his career. You know, he he wasn't much. He wasn't a big part of that offense. He was kind of like a game manager, and they won the Super Bowl earlier, and he was fine. But he was young. Like, oh, he'll get better. And then that Super Bowl against the the Cardinals, uh, they won, and he was I think fine in that game, and he had some help. But like, kind of ever since then, I guess his playoff record is something like three and seven over the last ten games. And early on in his career, obviously, Pittsburgh won a lot of playoff games. So it's kind of crazy to me. It's like I had this perception of Ben Roethlisberger still going into last Sunday night and the Steelers are like, yeah, I mean, it's it's Ben Roethlisberger in the playoffs. They're going to turn it on and, and play well and be fine, even though I know he's had kind of an up and down year or whatever. It's still Ben Roethlisberger. But like it's not even just this season. I mean, in, in recent history and you just forget about this, I guess, at least I do. Pittsburgh has not been that good in the playoffs and he hasn't been that good in the playoffs as a quarterback. And it's like, wow, huh? you had this idea of somebody, but. You hear those stats. Like, I'm not a big stats guy, but that was one of the few times where it was like, oh, over time, like, wow, like, maybe my my thought of Ben Roethlisberger and my perceptions have been kind of wrong for the last, I don't know, five years or so. Uh, I didn't have thoughts on that at all. I just thought that was kind of interesting that they're not playing well. So the number, Had the number one defense in the NFL, his two Super Bowls. I mean, that, yeah, that goes no, a long way. And also, I mean, for a large portion of the 2010s, he was throwing to Antonio Brown in his prime, um, who is in his prime, probably one of the five best receivers in the history of this league. Um, and Mike Wallace for a bit too. And my, <laughs> and here's the thing. Like, I'm I mean, not, he was good I, with, I think Roethlisberger is good. I, I think he's a, I, I think he's a, I think he's a borderline hall of famer. Not like, not shooing, but I, I, I would vote for him to get into the hall of fame. But I think largely him and Phillip rivers are like, are, are very similar players. I don't think Roethlisberger in fact, I honestly, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably think I'd probably say Rivers is a better player over the course of his career than Roethlisberger was. Um, but I, th- I think they're both like borderline Hall of Fame guys. Does that make sense? Yeah, like if Rivers would have had that kind of uh, supporting cast and defenses over the years, and maybe and been in the Pittsburgh organization and not the Chargers organization. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe he wins a couple Super Bowls like like Roethlisberger did. And I only say uh, that because yeah. I'm a I'm a Colts fan, and I you know I watched their game on Saturday against the Bills and. Man, Philip Rivers was awesome in that game, and like yeah. you can you can tell his physical ability is, is is just not at all what it used to be. But man, he is sharp and he is still pretty darn accurate. Um, and it, it like actually it made me think that if 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 the Colts could you know could put maybe like a, a weapon or two more around him that they could win a Super Bowl with Philip Rivers. Um, but I don't know. I, I just thought that was kind of an interesting, like, and and I, we're not we're we're you know we're not the first people who have made this comparison. Colin Cowherd was making that comparison earlier this week too. Um, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Those are two guys that came in in the same draft. 
Uh, you mentioned something earlier about the the satisfaction or the lack thereof that you were having as you were watching the Brown Steelers game. I, I think for me, again, I was kind of distracted during it, but uh, you mentioned it's because the Steelers really aren't that good of a team. Maybe, at least for me, a, a, a big hit to it is that there, there was nobody there. The stadium was empty. And, I mean, imagine a, not even a full stadium, what they had in Tennessee – you know, what, they, what they're going to have in Kansas City this week, what, I mean, what, what they've been having at the national title game where they have, you know, however many people there. I mean, at least even that, just like seeing fans kind of like down and out and like, like, oh, man, this like and maybe even a couple Browns fans there. I mean, that would have added to the atmosphere, which would have made it feel a lot cooler. It's just ridiculous that they're in the even in the NFL playoffs that some of these games are empty. I, I, I cannot believe. Yeah, Whenever I can't believe other that. Places yeah, I mean that's it. that's definitely part of it. I mean, it's a it's the NFL's a TV product and and the crowd goes a long way to that. So, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Like I was I was I was thinking about that in my head too. Is it was I just disappointed because just the atmosphere on TV didn't come off as great because there's literally only like you know, a thousand people there or you know, what was it? So, um no, I I I think the the one that I'm really after is is this week. I mean, that that I, you know, if they were to go into Kansas City and you know and beat the Chiefs, and of course you know it's Mayhill, you know Mayfield versus Mahomes, like we've all you know seen numerous times, um, that that's the real satisfying. That's the one that I want, and it's 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 not gonna happen. Um, but that's the one I I really really want. I mean I I'd be happy just with like even in a loss, I'd be happy with like with a with a really good Mayfield performance. Yeah, because they played uh, Chiefs Browns last they, season. They played and last it was in year in Cleveland, yeah. and in that game, it was. I mean, Mahomes just—he never let the Browns get close. I mean, it was—it was yeah, always from, like a two, three-score game. But from what I've seen, like the last month or so of the Browns defense, the Chiefs are literally going to score on every single drive. Um, well, like like the the hope as a Browns fan, if you have you know any hopes of winning this game, is. Everything we've seen from the Chiefs for the last two, three months where they're they're kind of like not blowing anybody out and they, they never cover any spreads. And even though they're winning a bunch of games, it's always kind of close. And granted, I guess that Bucks game, they technically didn't cover, but I mean, they dominated that Bucks game. But then the Bucks kind of got a backdoor cover and made it look better than it was. Uh, my point being is like you're like the thought is you hope that that that's actually the real Chiefs, even when the playoffs get here as opposed to what a lot of people think and it's almost like they're the the old golden state warriors whenever they had all the all those awesome players where they were just sleepwalking through the regular season and then they just turn it on in the playoffs which is insane to even think about in the NFL in football but this is about as close as you can get to it and i think we'll get a pretty good look at it this week if the chiefs come out and are firing all cylinders and just beat down the browns we'll kind of know like wow this team legitimately can just turn it off and on <laughs> and that is incredible so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's it's probably not going to happen, but... Um, I mean, yeah, I can... Yeah. You know, my imagination can think up of a realistic scenario in which the Browns can win. I mean, they have... The Browns do have the best running game in the NFL. They have the best one-two punch at running back in the NFL, both of whom looked really good against Pittsburgh, who I think had the number one run defense in the NFL. Um, I mean, you run the ball, keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands... And also you have arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL on your side too. Uh, I mean, Miles Garrett wins one or two matchups and strip sack, stuff like that. I mean, that's that's how they're going to win if they do. But it's, you know, I, I just... But you know how they're really going to win though? 
You know how the Browns really win this game? How's that, Lee? Baker Mayfield wins the game. God, I hope so. That would be so awesome. It's Baker's got, I mean, it, it's because, I mean, that's how the Chiefs win because Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL and, and may, whenever he retires, may be the best ever. I mean, he's on that trajectory right now. It's insane how good he is. And props, kind of a sidebar, props to you. And I don't think you saw this fully back then. But after week one, you had a lot of positive things to say about Josh Allen and the Bills. Uh, Josh Allen, after kind of scuffling a bit for the middle part of the season, he looks awesome, too. I mean, he's he, awesome. is, he is he's fantastic. Uh, he won he that. He kind of looks yeah. like Mahomes in a lot of the ways. Yeah, I mean, that was honestly this uh, this past Saturday. That was the first time I have watched a full a full on Bills game every single play since he's come into the league. Josh Allen won that game by himself against the Colts on Saturday. Um Josh Allen, I think right now is is pretty clearly the third best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, I behind Mahomes and and Rodgers, and I like I I think that's that's fairly evident. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, it's definitely uh, the players that are playing still. I mean, it's not not Breeze. Um, it's obviously not a Rams quarterback. The only it's other, not, I, I think, uh, I think I mean, the per, the person that that he would go up against than Brady. for that title right now would probably be Deshaun Watson. And I mean, he had a good season. Uh, That's crazy. He, Josh he really Allen and year, Deshaun they, Watson are considerably better than Tom Brady right now by like a lot. Yeah, no, I, yeah, Allen's been Allen's been awesome. I, I mean, he he does. It's it's incredible that he's been able to improve that much in so little time as a passer. I mean, he is he can make all the throws. I mean, there's not one throw he can't make, and he has he can he can have touch. I mean. There were, what, two or three throws. You mentioned he won the game for the Bills. I mean, just like rolling out and like sideline throws that have no business being completed that won him the game. And uh, that that was frustrating, I'm sure, for you. And I was, I mean, I was kind of pulling for the, the Colts, too. I kind of would have liked to see that. But and the Colts still should have uh, won. Yeah, he's good. I mean, they, they still should have won. It was, yeah, you know, them not being able to take, you know, take advantage of their opportunities in the red zone is why they ended up losing the game. But Whenever, yeah. whenever a, a play was there to be made, Josh Allen made it every single time, and you know that's that's something that you can't really teach in someone. That just kind of happens if you're really good. And um, yeah, I mean, I was. You can go back and listen to the archives. I was banging the drum big time. I was saying if anyone drafts Josh Allen, I mean, they're moronic. They're being stupid, and I, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Like this is, I this is the first time in a long time we've seen a guy with the measurables and not kind of like the game to match up with it like on to like he was taught how to play quarterback and whoever did it did a great job and he is now like i said yeah he's i, I in my mind he's he's well, very brian, clearly I mean, brian dayball i mean brian dayball, brian dayball. yeah i think yeah i think the, the top five the quarterbacks in the nfl right now are in this order mahomes rogers allen uh watson and wilson top five and wilson's been awful Something happened to Russell Wilson for the yeah, last. I don't know what's don't going on with him. But I, also uh, another cool thing is, is I think we can pretty comfortably say, I, I think Baker is a is a top ten quarterback in this league right now for sure. I want to agree with you, but I I want to look at all the quarterbacks first to fully agree. with I you. would say that like the, the the type of guy that like the tier that he would be in right now, he'd be like he'd be near Ryan Tannehill, who is a top ten quarterback in the league. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, this might not be the perfect comparison. Um, and just I just this flashed into my head with the Josh Allen stuff, and you mentioned that somebody helped him become a quarterback, and and he's 
evolved and he's improved and essentially uh this in a way was probably what um the bears were hoping with mitchell trubisky with not a whole lot of tape on him only like one season and hoping that hey we're gonna have this guy in to turn this guy into an nfl quarterback and it's been a disaster for the most part and by disaster my standard is him turning into an all-pro quarterback mitchell trubisky has turned into exactly what the bears are he's a he's a seven and nine eight and eight quarterback that's what he is and uh, Josh Allen's turning into a potential Super Bowl winning quarterback and it just shows you how important it is to go to the right places I if Josh Allen went to Chicago I don't there's no way he'd be this good right now because Matt Nagy does not know what the heck he's doing he, he does not trust Mitchell Trubisky and that's on him it's his job to make Trubisky good and better and let him and let him flourish he is not uh, and his handpicked guy and this isn't a Bears podcast, but we're almost two hours in, so you're going to get me talking about the Bears real quick. He wanted Nick Foles in there. Nick Foles was terrible, terrible. And so it, the, the point, though, is it fit matters. And finally, uh, Baker has, after getting multiple head coaches, Kevin Stefanski, even though he might be a terrible coach because he wasn't there on Sunday, Grant, and they beat the crap out of the Steelers. So maybe Stefanski is holding him. No, obviously Stefanski is, is a great coach. He's a great coach and Baker's playing better, and Brian Dayball is going to be a head coach one of these days, and Buffalo's going to have to figure out how to continue. They're going to have to hope, essentially, that whatever Dayball taught Josh Allen, that Josh Allen has that now forever, <laughs> and whatever the offense is will work. But, man, I mean, talk about quarterback whispers and gurus. Brian Dayball might be – I mean, I don't know what Lincoln Riley would have done with, with Josh Allen. Maybe he would have made Josh Allen a lot better. He probably would have, but, boy, I mean, it's – it's incredible how important fit is and props to Josh Allen. And uh, I really hope the Bills beat the Ravens this week. I'll put I, it that I, way. I got to tell I, you, I'm, I'm very like happy. I'm very happy that I did not uh, aggressively come off of my, my, my prediction about the Bills when I, when I brought up Josh Allen after week one. Or it was whatever. I, I, I said the Bills are my pick to win the Super Bowl after like week two or three. And then I think they, and then I think they lost like three or four games. And I was like, eh, crap. All right. Uh, but they haven't lost <laughs> since then. Um, and yeah, I mean, their their offense is awesome. That's that's definitely the second best offense in the NFL. Uh, I mean, uh, Green Bay's is really good too, I suppose. Um, but it, it, it's up there. I mean, well, that, that is an elite offense in the league. And it is because of Josh Allen. Because you can't yeah. get to him because he is fast and athletic. And he contorts himself and can make every single throw. And it's just... Yeah, I, I think yeah maybe one of the throws that you had on your in your mind was he... Um, he escaped from a collapsing pocket, was outrunning, I think, DeForest Buckner, an all-pro defensive tackle, uh, to his left towards the sideline, and then he contorted his body, got his, his entire body turned around, squared up somehow, and was able to throw across his body and hit, uh, I, think, I think it was Diggs on the sideline, in between two defenders. It was one of the best plays and throws I've ever seen at that level. And... Yeah, he made it look easy. I mean, that's that is the difference in, I mean, Mitchell Trubisky and a guy that can win you a Super Bowl. I mean, like, and, and he consistently can make those throws, which is which is crazy. It's it's a consistency factor. Uh, not to make this a Trubisky hate fan, that that didn't need to be said there. But yeah, he. Uh, I was gonna say, it, there's no coincidence that the three best offenses in football right now are the three best quarterbacks that you mentioned earlier: Green Bay, Kansas City, and Buffalo. I mean, it's just. Funny how that works. And, I mean, depending on where you are, I mean, you could say, I, I know the Ravens are getting hot and people like the Ravens' offense. And, sure, they're playing better. Uh, I mean, Lamar Jackson made two plays in that game, two plays that decided that game in the first half. 
it was when they were down 10 nothing. I'm not sure how much you watched this, how close you watched it, but they were down 10 nothing. It was third down. He escaped a sack, ran out, and made a bullet pass on the sideline to Mark Andrews. Like, it probably his most accurate throw he's made in weeks for the first down, and uh, Baltimore went, ended up going down and scoring on that drive. They get off the field there, and Tennessee gets the ball back. Who knows? I mean, Tennessee's offense was playing well. They might go up by three scores. And then, obviously, the, the touchdown run by Lamar Jackson in the, in the second quarter that, tied, or that made it a tie game where I don't know a defense. I don't know why on third down and long, why there's not somebody spying Lamar Jackson. I, I don't know why you're, you're not putting somebody on Lamar Jackson, like not a safety who has all this room to have to make up to get to him and then give Lamar Jackson tons of time to make a move, but like somebody that's kind of close to the line of scrimmage to where there's not a whole lot of space to where you can try to close on him fast and get him to the ground. If he starts to scramble, I, I, I could not believe that. And he made an incredible play by running, but Boy, I, they're the Ravens. Good, good on him for getting a win. But I, I would like to think the Bills' defense is better than Tennessee's, and not that we're previewing the game. But I, I'd like to think that the Bills' defense will have more success against Baltimore than Tennessee did. Anyways, we don't. Yeah, I mean, what? <laughs> Buffalo has a better defense than Tennessee, and Buffalo's defense is not particularly good. It's just it's better than Tennessee's, which is a bad defense. Um, hey, like I'm I. I, I kind of see where you're coming from on Lamar, and we, we, we've talked about it on, on this podcast, I think, a little bit. Um, I, he's, he's never going to be an outstanding passer, ever. It's not going to happen. Uh, but his running ability and his athleticism is so good to the point where it's, I mean, he, you, you have to account for it. It's, it's his athleticism and his ability to run is good enough to carry an offense. Is it good enough to carry an offense once you get deep into the playoffs? Probably not. Um, but, is, I mean, is it possible? Yeah, I mean, the offense is good. He's a great runner. That's his game. Um, if you go up against a team that has a lot of kind of like rangy, athletic defensive backs who can tackle, then it's likely he's not going to have a very good game. But there's not, a, I mean, there's not a ton of teams like that. So, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know. Like, I I, I know you, 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 you like, you kind of like to fight in the narrative a lot about Lamar Jackson about how he can't throw. And I think it's, it's kind of true. He's not a very good thrower of the ball. But his running ability is the best that has ever been at the quarterback position, and it's probably not even close. So that makes him valuable and difficult to defend. The, I'm not going to argue against that. I, I guess for me, it, it, it always comes down to, can you win a Super Bowl with this guy? And I, I guess maybe you can, but I think, everything's got to line up perfectly I for him. I think you can. You cannot. He he's gonna have to have a top five defense paired with him to win a to win That's a. That's what I was getting to. That's what I was getting to. He he's had the benefit ever since he's been in this league of having one of the best defenses in the NFL and and also the best weapon on special teams ever. Maybe in um the I I'm blanking on their kicker's name Justin but Tucker. He's, uh, yeah Tucker. So it, and I was kind of thinking like man. You know, maybe Lamar will get better. Maybe like the offense will change later whenever he can't run as much and he's got to throw around and maybe he'll improve as a passer and he'll evolve as a player. Maybe he will. And I was kind of thinking like, man, remember when Tom Brady was 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 a rookie and he won it all and he was like, I mean, they're different players, obviously different styles, but he wasn't anywhere near as good as he is now. But yeah, Brady won three Super Bowls he had, before he, had he was one of the defense. five best quarterbacks in the league. What's that? Brady won three Super Bowls before he was one of the five best quarterbacks okay. in the league. 
Right, and what I was getting at is, I mean, what did he have back then? Is he had an elite defense, and he had one of the best kickers of all time on his team. That just weapons like that that allowed you that kind of leeway here and there. Um, and you know, Lamar's taking advantage of it. I I find it interesting that it's a very small sample size in the playoffs, but a bad defense like the Titans, they're bad. They were still able to hold them to what twenty points, and their plan against them for the most part as far as running was pretty solid and like they because it's it's the playoffs like so in my mind it's like if a bad defense like that can scheme up that well and, and hold you down pretty well then a better defense like buffalo in theory should be able to do the same thing and when you have an offense like buffalo's that's probably going to stretch you and give you more dynamic playmaking than tennessee's offense that could be a problem for baltimore uh, but I mean, if the Lamar comes out and throws the ball around, it looks a lot better. Then I mean, I'm I'll give I'll give credit to him. It's just it's it's all about the style of play that I I can't get by. It's it's just it's so gimmicky and and everything needs to be perfect for it to work. Yeah, I kind of I think Baltimore has a really good chance to beat Buffalo. Um, just because like I I Buffalo's defense is is bad. Like it's not good. And Jack Doyle was running wide open that entire game. And, you know, Mark Andrews is not Jack Doyle. You know, I, I, there was just, there was so much space over the middle of the field against Buffalo's defense. And if Lamar Jackson is going to throw, it's, it's virtually always over the middle of the field. Um, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see, if, if we see Baltimore in that game. And then they would likely get completely stomped by the Chiefs, I think, in an AFC championship game. All right. That's enough of that. Uh, Let's see. No plans at all yet for what we're doing moving forward. I know we wanted to get this podcast out because a lot of off-season news has dropped. Can't promise one next week if something happens or you know we have an itch, we'll do one. But um, that's not about right for you, Grant. I, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not yeah. in the mood to do one week right now. I mean, the season just ended. When we start getting closer to, I don't know. Like we got learn more about the off-season. I don't know, signing the other signing day will come up. I, I, whatever, that's not really as big as it used to be. So yeah, we'll, we'll jump back in. But uh, as far at least next week, though, don't anticipate an episode. All right, so uh, until the next time, whatever that may be, just go ahead and like the West of Ever's Facebook page to stay up to date, and we'll, uh, we'll let you know. But uh, hopefully you all uh, have an incredible rest of the week. Enjoy the rest of the NFL playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I'll, you know, if Baker beats the chiefs, maybe we'll have to come back and do a podcast. I don't know. Yeah. We're uh, going to have see. to do that. I am. If, if, if Baker beats the chiefs, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun around here. That's for sure. That's the game I Baker want, pod. man. I'm so pumped for that game. All right. Well, until uh, next time for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.